10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, um, 0, negative 1, negative 2, or is it minus 1? I mean, you could say minus or negative. It's all the same. That's racist. I'm just kidding. What's <laughs> up, everybody? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> this is... Ozzy Driss. And this is Turnstile. And you are tuned into another episode of... You, you say your name. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll say yeah. Styles this time because I was yeah. always going Driss. Yeah. So, Styles. And Driss. And Driss. <laughs> Osman Driss. My name is Osman Driss. <laughs> Hello, Mother Packers. I'm Turnstiles. <laughs> We're uh, here at Turnstile's house. Uh, his fucking house. His fucking house in Maplewood. You know, he, <laughs> he's got the Bruce Lee thing right by me. The Bruce know, Lee's. Where he does uh, that Wing Chun shit. That that, uh, that that Jeet Kune does? <laughs> he does the Jeet Kune do, man. <laughs> He's like a gang. <laughs> Shit. 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 Um, or for our friends over in Germany, Scheiße. <laughs> Scheiße. Or uh, for our friends in Russia, Shit. Shit. Or at least that's how Mike used to say, you know, yeah. like after, <laughs> after, I don't know if you're around still. I don't know, this might be before you like. Well, this is definitely before I, f- I feel like this is definitely well because he stopped doing this. Okay. When I met you, I think. Yeah. But when he first moved here, when we're talking about Mikhail. Yeah. Russian Mike. Russian Mike from Break Cops, um, aka Warriors Crew. <laughs> Warriors Crew. Warriors. Um, so when Mike first moved here, yes. Uh, this was like, I mean, he's already been here for like a year, right? Yeah. But. As far as going coming into the scene, that wasn't until 2004. Yeah. And 2003, 2004-ish. And uh, Slim would pick me, Mike, and Joe up, and we'd go to session at MCAD. Mm-hmm. And Mike was, you know, and he still is today, a power move fanatic. Yeah. Right? Like, he's all about the flares, windmills, you know, air flares, or, you know, whatever we used to call them, air tracks, mm-hmm. uh, elbow tracks, and all that shit. And especially... 90s yeah 90s and 2000s uh-huh. but after every every round that he would go for practice he would just do th- throughout the whole practice he would just work on 90s the whole fucking time because <laughs> he wanted like eight rotations which he did eventually end up getting yeah but leading up to that after every try he would blurt out a cuss word because he, he, <laughs> he like his english at the time wasn't as good as it is right now right but um but dude like after every try he would be like fuck or shit, like after every <laughs> fucking try, like and it's just like, you know, when you're taking a deep breath, and then you and then you breathe out and stuff, and he's just like that's that would be that would be his his um was it exhale yeah that would be his exhale fuck <laughs> shit so so I remember one time Booty Juice aka Bryce yes was that session fried Bryce and you know Bryce is like one of the most characteristic dudes ever yes you know especially with the SpongeBob impersonation but this <laughs> oh, dude. God. This dude was like literally after after Mike would cuss, he would come, he would cuss with him. So <laughs> he would be, Mike would be like fucking. Bryce would walk around, fuck, <laughs> like all strong armed and all that shit. But oh man, it, it reminds me of my um, my homeboy um, that I became friends with at my high school. Um, so in sixth, no seventh grade, I'm sorry. I moved up to the boondocks um, out of the Twin Cities, out of the metropolitan area and up into like a real rural environment. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was like the the weird um, diplomat because anybody that was of of any ethnicity that got moved up there. And this is before not like now that area is like totally um, 
I don't even want to say gentrified, um, more along the lines of it's just very diverse. Mm-hmm. Like it's like an extension of like any of the outer burbs. Yeah. But back then it was like there were hardly you know any people of color at all whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, one of my really good friends, he was uh, he's Korean was was Korean. No, he is Korean. Um, <laughs> but he came over here by way of um, he went to he was staying in an Air Force base in Japan first, and then from there he went to Sacramento. So when I met him, he was hyphy as fuck. I mean, mm. like, like, Bay, like it, it yeah. was it was mad funny because because he, he had this real thick Korean accent, uh, Korean English accent that I could understand because I'd done like Taekwondo for years. So I trained with people that had like a real thick Korean accent that would like come in to do like uh, guest spots at our dojang and things like that. So I, I was used to that. And but then he had that mixed with he learned his English from the Pinoy people sure. in, in, in Sacktown. And then on top of that, he also had like Hella was added onto everything. So he's yeah. like, you know, he, he, and you know, so when I first met him, I was, I was like, yo, what's up, man? My name is Cam. Nice to meet you. Da, da, da. He's like, oh, what's up, man? My name is uh, Chol. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, you can call me Jackie. I'm like, all right, I'll call you Jackie. <laughs> but I just insisted on calling him Chol because I was like, that's, that's a badass name. And then all of a sudden he was just like, oh my God, man, it's fucking hella tight. You know, and he's just like, oh, my God, the Filipinos, are, there's no Filipinos up here. What the fuck? And I'm going like, wait a minute. Why, why are you talking like you're Pinoy? You know, you're Korean. And but then I found out, you know, that he was like he, he basically got raised by mostly like Pinoy friends. Yeah, yeah. So like he was hanging out with like everybody's like uh, like uh, Tios and Tias and yeah. like just getting all that shit like just downloaded. So that when he came over here, people were trying to figure out like they were going, yeah, he's from California, but he doesn't like. He doesn't sound like he's Californian, and I'm like going, he's from the north, yeah. and they go, "There's a difference," and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, motherfucker, yeah." So it's like, <laughs> and you know, and I knew this other guy who was only in school. He was actually in school the year before Chol came up there. And it was this guy named Ron. Ron was also from the Bay Area, mm-hmm. and he only went to school for at our school for a year, but um, him and I were kicking it, and he could. Uh, he was teaching me how to do. Um, uh, uh, what are they called? Um, so we in breaking, we would know them as UFOs. But like he called them something different, like either like crickets or grasshoppers. I think. I think, oh, I think yeah. they were crickets. Yeah. But basically, it's you know, yeah, turtles. Yeah, it, where where you're just like in that that hand planche yeah. position and you're spinning around. Yeah, just yeah. on your hands. They call them turtles. Yeah, yeah. So so like, but he was calling them like he was calling them like crickets. Um, Interesting. For for some reason, and and I asked him, I said, yeah, so where are you from? originally man and he goes okay yeah i'm from the bay area and i was just like 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 what part and he kind of moved around so he was in the bay area proper he was in um uh san francisco for a number of years but then he like moved um inland so he was in like stockton Mm -hmm. and modesto yeah so he was in the 209 Mm. for a bit of time too but same thing everything was hella yeah, yeah hello this hello yeah. that so i was already used to that shit yeah and you know and, and he laced me up on that and then on top of that we we shared uh um a lot of uh a lot in common because i came to school one day with a hieroglyphic uh t-shirt mm. and he was just like oh man you you into hiero and mm-hmm. i was just like i was like fuck yeah dude yeah and then he was just like oh you you probably into like souls of mischief and everything mm-hmm. else too and i'm yeah. like yeah yep. and and we just we immediately just went into trading tapes and you know he was making me mixes and i was making him mixes and because uh, i had a lot of shit from new york that he didn't have and plus um one of my um one of my good uh friends 
um, and also a cousin of mine too that lived within range to be able to get uh, Stretch and Bobito shows out mm-hmm. on the East Coast. They were always sending me tapes too. Mm. They would send me the Stretch and Bob um, uh, sessions. So I'm sitting here and I'm just going like, "Yo, have you heard of uh, J. Ru the, the Damager?" And he's just like, "Uh, uh-uh. uh." He's like, "Fucking hear that shit?" And he was bugging out. And you know, again, this is like you know mid to late '90s, so this was like just when. By the time, like, you know, those tapes had come out to me, these guys were already getting, like, their record deals or being, you know, having, like, a video on MTV and shit. Mm-hmm. So he was tripping out about that. He's like, oh, man, this is fucking, this is this is dope. So, you know, so he stayed there for a year, and then he left, and then my new uh, my new homeboy, uh, Chol, came into play. And, and we were, like, ride or die, like, immediately. I was just like, yo, man, this is, this is my road dog. And, um, and yeah, and he never, um, he actually didn't, he didn't break. He didn't do any of like the the dance aspect, um, but that was because if you've ever watched Korean uh, Korean gangster movies, and I don't mean like like mafia movies, I mean Korean gangster is in like Attack the Gas Station, you know, mm-hmm. like or like some of like the schoolboy movies where you know it'll be like some guy who just decides to show up to a, a fight with like a big stick, like mm-hmm. a dowel, yeah, yeah, ready to just fuck some heads up. Mm-hmm. Th- that's the culture that he grew up in i mean he like fondly recalls you know getting the shit beat out of him by upperclassmen calling out uh lower classmen and then also getting like all the uh the teachers would beat the fuck out of you in school and i remember uh there was a movie that came out called once upon a time in high school which showed like that culture where like teachers could just come up to you and they would just punch you in the stomach and you know kick you in the balls or they'd have you like take off your shoes and they would whip the bottom of your feet with a stick yeah yeah. you know all that stuff so so Joel was like he was a different kind of guy so when people came up and stepped to him and tried to like fuck with him he would immediately just go right to his car without a second word it was like he just went into like this Mel Gibson lethal weapon mode where he just wouldn't say anything Mm -hmm. he would just walk right over to his car pop the hood on his uh his caprice classic and pull out a fucking stick and then come back over and be like you know come on motherfucker what's up shibaluma come on motherfucker what's up mm-hmm. you know he's just like you know and he would just like step to these guys and everyone's just like oh my god he's fucking crazy and i'm like no he's cali yeah he's from the bay <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah, you know man. because you they fuck around with bay area dudes like that no and especially it, when they're fresh from the bay like, oh hell yeah man you don't fuck around because you know there's like there's a different um there's a different mindset that people don't understand about um the bay area which is that people in the bay are really cool like they, they've got like a really cool disposition mm-hmm. but you do not fuck with anybody no because anytime that you fuck with anybody like you just take a joke a little bit too far it immediately is going to get really serious really fast yeah. so you know um so it's always about like how you carry yourself and if you step to people with with respect and you carry yourself the right way everyone's like yo man yeah this cat's cool yeah but you know if you decide just to out of nowhere just like start breaking on somebody that you don't know mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you start making fun of their accent or you start making fun of their clothes or this or that that person is gonna fucking throw bones yeah without a doubt so yeah. i imagine that in, in mike's case you know he, he was just like he was going through that filter too of like just yeah. trying to pick up everything that everybody else is putting down and probably, oh for sure yeah i mean and, luckily you know we were luckily we took him in right away yeah right <laughs> you know it was but uh yeah, totally on the Bay Area thing. Yeah. And, um, gosh, I got made fun of so much, but I also fit in because I was an athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, I played football mm-hmm. in middle school, and going towards high school, I was about to play football. And okay. you know, it's like I, I was just I was an athlete. 
Or were so, you like a strong safety? Would, would you play? What position? I was a lineman. Lineman? Okay. Yeah, because at the time I was as big as all the other dudes. But mm-hmm. if I went, if I played in high school, then they, I probably would have been a running back. Okay. Or like, yeah, strong safety because I'm fast. I'm stocky, but I'm fast, mm-hmm. you know, um, but also I'm small. Word. Uh, and that's the reason to why. Well, I ended up being small. Yeah. And that's the reason to why I didn't play in high school because I looked at all the dudes that all my all my homies yeah. in middle school were going up against. I'm like, yeah, fuck that. <laughs> fuck that shit. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to become a break dancer. <laughs> right. Um, no, I know I know how that feels. I know how your friend Cho feels because, yeah, when I moved here, dude, it was, it was a bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost got into how many fights a day at right. school at Richfield Middle School and and people made fun of me for saying hella. You know, they questioned me. They're like, why do you keep saying that word? I'm like, you know, it means a lot. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the, the way I dressed, you know, like I was all around that time. I was all about the Cortezes. Yep. And in the Bay Area, what we used to do around that time, we used to do something called puff our shoes. So mm-hmm. we would double sock our shoes, but then we would take. So we wear the ankle sock and then we would take a crew sock, wear it halfway or with the ankle and then take the tongue and uh, fold it mm-hmm. over the top. And it would make your shoes puff up, right. make the tongue of your shoes puff up. And that was a big thing in the Bay Area. Right. And plus, we, we would put rubber bands, like, on our um, on our jeans, like, at the bottom. So it would look like we're wearing, uh, I don't know, like, windbreakers, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, tapered jeans. Right. Like, you know, the Bay Area is, is such a, has such an interesting culture. Oh, the yeah. The Bay Area culture was so interesting. And, and, I'm, and I'm fortunate enough that I was able, that I was raised in it yeah. half of my life that I was raised in the Bay Area because, you know, I was born born there and then raised. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, you call Frisco proper? No, it's Daly City. That's mm-hmm. that's Bay Area proper. Right. Because <laughs> that's, that's the fucking, that's the pit yeah. of the Bay Area, you know, like, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, you say Daly City, people are like, yeah, you're from the Bay. Yeah. You know, because everyone knows Frisco. Yeah. Everyone knows o- Oakland and shit like yeah. that, you know, and everyone, but if you say... A lot of times if you say, yeah, I'm from Daly City, they're like, mm-hmm. yep, you're Bay Area. Right. Or I'm from Vallejo, they're like, yeah, you're Bay Area. Yep. You're definitely Bay Area, you know? Because those are like the cities that no one really mentions except for the Bay Area rappers and shit. Right. Um, I love the Bay Area. Like, I'll forever be grateful. You yeah. Know? And, and I'll forever, and to an extent, I'll represent it, mm-hmm. you know? But obviously, I'm, I'm also in Minnesota all day, yeah. you know, because this is where I grew up as a teenager. Um Obviously, through my 20s mm-hmm. is where my dance career started. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, dude, Minnesota's home. And I'll, yeah. that's the, like Minnesota will, I'll never leave this fucking place. Yeah. I'm never going to leave this state. Yeah. Because this is, in my personal opinion, the best state to raise a child. Um, just the best state to live in because mm-hmm. we don't have to deal with a lot of bullshit. I, I think that's why so many people that we've hosted have had such a, a good response here. Like where they, where they turn around and they say, you know, if I was ever to like relocate someplace, they would always consider Minnesota or they yeah. talk about it in high regards because it's a place where you've got enough elbow room, mm-hmm. but it's, it's interesting too. Like you go, you go to Minneapolis and, and you're in like the Metro area of Minneapolis proper. And you've got kind of a very New York esque type of environment, right? Yeah. St. Paul. It's ironic because St. Paul is much like the California side where it's like you have a metropolitan area, but then you have a lot of suburb sprawl yeah yeah. so you can go from like being in like the thick of downtown and then just driving out and all of a sudden now you've just got like you know rows and rows of of just residential streets and stuff Mm -hmm. and um and of course you know you go you know 40 minutes 
plus in any direction and you've got different types of landscapes different type of weather environments if you're an outdoors person i mean you can hunt you can fish you can do the whole nine um but also it's kind of a nice little centralized place because um you you could live in the city proper and then still like you know we have you know our international airport yeah we've got um all types of uh connections we've got culture you know all these like heavy uh heavy hitters who've come from you know minneapolis st paul or even like just the state of minnesota you know everyone from prince to bob dylan to fucking macgyver uh what's his name uh jeffrey jimmy jam yeah jimmy jam terry lewis Mm -hmm. um you know um and shit even now what's her face uh justin timberlake's wife um oh uh, uh what's her fucking uh, face jessica beale yeah I, I always i always screw that up i always call her jennifer beale and i'm like yeah, no that's Flashdance. Yeah. Yeah. but but yeah jessica beale she's from uh she's from ely originally yeah so that's why josh Jake, hartnett josh hartnett <laughs> um and then of course my one of my favorite character actors even though he does stand up but one of my favorite character actors is uh nick swartzen oh from, yeah 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 he Playing Terry on Reno Nine One One to um, Grandma's uh, Boy Jeff in uh, Grandma's Boy. I yeah. mean, goddamn, he had so many great one-liners. And click and and click and <laughs> I mean, shit. Even even that even that weird ass character that he played in uh, uh, fucking Blades of Glory, the Stalker. Oh, yeah. you know, he's just like you know, I'll, I'll steal your blood later. You know, <laughs> that that dude bleeds purple. Oh my god, he's yeah. a fucking Minnesota Viking fan. Yeah, dude. I don't know yeah. any other. There's two fans. There's two Viking fans that I know of that are like fucking insane. Mm-hmm. One is him, the other is Boogie B is Jake Riley. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, hands down. Like you don't you don't dare say anything bad about right. the Vikings and unless it's true. Right. Then, then, then at least Jake. I don't know Nick. Yeah. But at least Jake will be like, all right, yeah, 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 yeah. But like anything good if you if you try and trash him in any sort of way mm-hmm. like i feel like he's he's a dude that that might just throw hands yeah <laughs> it's like you know like i feel his passion i'm like that way about juventus but yeah but i, I won't throw hands over that right right <laughs> because if one for one thing that's that's like, that's already in the culture so i'm like you know i'm like yo man you, I'd, I'd expect this from a raiders fan but what the fuck <laughs> you know <laughs> You know, fucking Raiders are from Vegas now. Yep, yep, yep. But uh, um, Sean William Scott, he's another um, Minnesota alumni. My um, Brock Lesnar, my cousins, um, who went to school over in Cottage Grove, they uh, Sean was a grade below, and he was like, he was not Stifler. He was like this kind of quiet, nerdy guy. That's you know? crazy. How so? I forgot that he's from here. Yeah, and I, I met his brother um, back when I still used to live up in the Boondocks. There was this uh, video store that was like the. It was kind of like the central. It was like in the central one of the central parts of town because we didn't have like one main town. It was like a strip of towns that all were connected to be like the school district, right? So it'd be like Lindstrom, Taylor's Falls, Chisago City, Schaefer, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And those were all the ones that were like the cluster and then the next big town was forest lake and that had all everything together it was all forest lake but um there's a lot of cabins up there and there's a lot of like summer homes and shit and uh sean william scott's family has a place up there so this biker dude comes into the video store that i worked at shout out to the former chisago lakes video vault i think it's a car dealership now but um I'm working there, and all of a sudden, this biker dude just walks in, and he spouts off the phone number, look up his account, and then I see the last name is Scott, and he, like, all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, he asked me, he goes, he says, uh, so have you, have you ever met my brother up here? And I'm like, who is your brother? 
And he goes, uh, Shawnee. And I like, I look on the, the account and I see like, you know, one of the names was Sean. And I was just like, uh, don't say that I, I can reckon that actually. And he goes, Oh, I, I figured you probably would have known him. He's kind of a celebrity. And I was like, uh, what do you mean? And he goes, he's like, look at the name. And I'm like, Sean Scott. And I'm like, I, I'm still not putting it together because, mm-hmm. you know, usually when you see like James Earl Jones versus James Jones, yeah, yeah, you're not going to yeah. put the connection together, right? No, no. So I'm sitting there just going like, I'm, you gotta, you gotta enlighten me, friendo. What the fuck are you talking about? American Pie. Yeah. And, and he goes, he goes, yeah, Stifler. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, and I was like thinking about it and I was like, I was like, really? And he goes, yeah, Shawnee. And I was like, holy shit. Okay. And then this was just when he got out of the American Pie kind of typecast thing mm-hmm. and he was like and it was still like i think he just did like dude where's my car oh yeah but now he was starting to be in other i think i think the big movie that he did that was like on the video racks at the time was a uh, bulletproof monk mm, uh, yeah yep, that. Fat movie. so that was the first yeah, time that i'd yeah. seen him outside of being you know the douche character or, mm-hmm. or like the stupid bro character yeah yeah and um so i was just like oh yeah i dug that movie and, and now it's like I mean, one of my favorite movie characters that he's ever played is uh, uh, he plays this hockey player in this oh, uh, yeah. movie uh, called Goon and yeah. Goon 2, Last of the Enforcers. Mm-hmm. And he is fucking brilliant in that. So, yeah. you know, yeah. shout out to Sean William Scott. Dude, I was, that's kind of funny how you brought him up. Well, it obviously made sense how you brought him up. But yeah. the, the, the setup is funny because I, I have HBO Max and I've just... I've literally been watching all the American pies. <laughs> so I just finished American reunion and dude, fucking he Stifler is definitely my favorite character in there. I don't know what it is. I think it's like, maybe he's just a narcissistic kind of guy in there. Yeah. He's fucking crazy, but yeah, I don't know. Like I, I love characters like that because it, it's it, to me, it shows in power. It shows power. Cause mm-hmm. they just don't give a fuck. Right. You know, but they're also, they don't give a fuck, but they're also sensitive. Like Ari mm-hmm. gold in entourage. Yeah. My favorite character, hands down. Yeah. He's the one that honestly, he's the one that makes that show amazing. Yeah. Because you see the compassion you see, you see that he's a, he's a man of power, mm-hmm. but he's, he's also a human being. Right. You know, like he, he, like he always goes back down to ground zero. Right. You know, and, and sometimes a lot of the times it has to deal with him going through some bullshit. Yeah. So the same thing with Stifler. Yeah. Or, or you realize that it's, you can see that what they're doing with the character is typically it's a very, like, it's a very one dimensional character until maybe they do a second or a third movie, or maybe they do like a, something later on for character development and you start to see that this person's complicated. Yeah. You know, um, what's kind of funny is that I actually knew a lot of people like that in school. Um, I, I knew a lot of like stifflers that had this, uh, this persona about them where they acted like they didn't give a fuck and they said whatever popped in their stupid fucking mind. <laughs> but then, um, I'd be relegated to something like having to work on like a project with one of these guys and, you know, they were always, like, saying, like, dumb shit in front of everybody else. And then finally, like, behind closed doors, they were just like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I don't really believe half of the shit that I say. Or mm-hmm. I just do it for, you know, the uh, the reaction. Yeah. Or, or even still, like, sometimes, like, I, I'd actually kind of see, like, what they're living in their life. Mm-hmm. And I feel real bad for them. Like, they're kind of pitiful because, you know, you go, like, uh, case in point, this one guy that I had a, a project with. And we went back to his house, and his folks weren't there. Mm-hmm. And he had this big house. And I was like, holy shit, man, this is dope. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm like, so where are your folks? And they're like, oh, they're, they're down in the cities. And I'm like, what do you mean, like, a, like on a trip or something? Or like what? And he goes, no, 
th- this is like the guest house. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why I'm up here is so I can continue to go to school. And then also this guy was like a professional athlete um, in a, like a like a different kind of like a real niche sport. Mm-hmm. So he needed to have access to certain resources up in that area. Mm. So he basically was just this lonely kid who was like, I mean, you know, he had a, he had a nice car. He had money. He had sponsorship. He had all this other shit, but he didn't have any like real true friends. And he was a fucking dickhead to everybody mm-hmm. and in school. I mean, talking mad shit. He, he was like, he reminded me of, uh, What's that? What's that guy's name? The YouTube personality who just boxed recently. Um, oh, fucking uh, Jake Paul. Jake Paul. Yeah. He was like that, right? Just, just knows how to just try to like talk mad shit and just instigate yeah. stuff <laughs> and be like, you know, he'd be the guy that would say, "Hey, I can kick all y'all asses," yeah. and then next thing you know, everyone would stomp him into a memory, yeah. and then he would still be like a pile of, you know, folded up clothes on the floor, and he'd still be like. Fuck y'all motherfuckers, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so you know, so it, it's kind of cool when you, like, when you see, you know, I think Sean William Scott maybe understood that character because he had dealt with those guys. Mm-hmm. So he knew how to tap into that. He, and he got to play, you know, sometimes, like, the people who play, like, the really good bad guy yeah. are actually, like, really nice people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's so, crazy yeah. when, like, a lot of these villain, a lot of these people that play villains and shit, they're, mm-hmm. like, the nicest people ever. Yeah, Jeremy Piven is actually like that too. Oh yeah, yeah, Jeremy Piven's. Yeah. Him and John Cusack were like real good friends, and he used to recall the days where John would be like, "All right, I'm taking the train going into the city to try out for a movie," and they're like, "All right, good luck, Johnny. Whatever, you know." Kind of rolling their eyes, mm-hmm. and then next thing you know, Johnny brings him into uh, one crazy crazy summer, and he plays one of the the uh, the asshole um, bullies that's part of like the because uh, you know that that movie was the one about the boat race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he got to play in that and then next thing you know you started seeing him in other movies you see yeah. him in like lucas and old school old school and yeah. everything else and and you're just like and then you know he fucking goddamn he he crushed me he was so funny in uh what was it rush hour two was that the one when they they were in vegas at one point and they needed to buy clothes so they went to like that uh chris tucker um oh yeah yeah and he was just um. like and he, and he was like, so he's like the retail guy there. And he's all just like, he's like, you know, I feel like just dressing you in a dead animal. I'm oh, thinking yeah. um, gator skin, you know, or whatever. And he's like, I just want to put water wings on you and spank your bottom. You oh know, I was gosh. fucking crying. I totally forgot that Jeremy Piven was in yeah. there. Holy dude, shit, dude. I mean, so, so yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, I think like a lot of times when people watch movies, they have a tendency to think that if you can tap into that character, that maybe there's like something in you that is that. But I'm like, no, sometimes actors are very, like, they're observationalists. Like, they'll sit back and they won't say boo shit to anybody at a party because they're analyzing everybody. Yeah. And then next thing you know, they go out and they do a film and somebody at a party will realize that, hey, man, that guy's kind of acting like me. You know, because, like, they, they figured out, like, okay, you're the you're the cop or you're the construction worker or you're the, uh, um, the super rich guy that's overcompensating or you're the, you know, lucky in love character, whatever it is, they, they have an ability to really like watch that and observe that. And I think Jeremy Piven, um, you know, he's got really good timing, good, good chops, good instincts. And then, you know, when you, if, if anybody has ever worked in the business or dealt with anybody in Hollywood, you realize how many like, I mean, damn near psychopathic people there are. 
and they're all like jammed into this industry. And if they're not an actor, they're a manager or they're, uh, you know, work for an agency or they're a promoter or they're, you know, producer of this and that. So they, it was kind of cool about watching Entourage was how like they were able to jump into all those different stereotypes and archetypes. Yeah. So like, you know, episodes where like Turtle is like talking with somebody about trying to get some like limited edition shoes and shit. Yeah, yeah. And you meet like the eccentric shoe guy that everyone yeah. will like wait for six months to, you know, get a pair of like, you know, limited kicks mm-hmm. from him and stuff. It's like, so I, I think that, that like that show was really cool. And you find that's fucking Rufio. Right. Right. <laughs> Dante Bosco. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, like, yeah, those, uh, I, I think that, uh, it's, it's kind of cool when you see, um, actors who can, you know, really draw off of like, whether it's like personal experiences they go through, but other times it's actually what they've observed from other people. They say, actually, I was not the bully, but my, one of my best friends was the bully. So I watched him. And that's how I figured out how to be this for the role or whatever. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. I think it's just part of the game. Yeah. And then it even works even better when they're a method actor. Yeah, exactly. Method actress. You know, it's like they just, <laughs> they just fill the part. Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, from what it looks like, sometimes it works great and sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't work too great, obviously. Yeah. You know, you look at some of the actors that went too deep into mm-hmm. the part and, you know, disrupted relationships because of that. Or, right. Even took their own life because of that. Yeah, you know, like I was watching this documentary on uh, on Jim Carrey, okay. and it's when he played. It was Man on the Moon. Yeah, and um, his his you know he he literally went into into like, in like a method mm-hmm. type of approach where he was uh, literally uh, what's his fucking name Andy Kaufman Andy Kaufman yeah, yeah. where he played Andy Kaufman the the dude himself right like. Even if they weren't filming, he was still in in character, right? And that fucked up a lot of relationships for yeah. him, you know. And and but also, in a sense, there was like a positive side to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was all positive, but like the negative impacts were pretty bad. But the yeah. positive sides were also really good. With you know, like Andy Kaufman's parents mm-hmm. when they met Jim Carrey, yeah, it's like they literally got a chance to be with their son again right. because he was in so much. His character was so like pure right and you know it's it's crazy when you see that shit yeah come into play well you know and it's also kind of funny because um a lot of times when you meet the people that are like super good at the method side it's there's this weird there's 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 kind of like this weird internal blankness that the person has so what they do is they completely like embody the part whereas like some other actors are just like the, the type that just they understand the character because you know they've read up on him and stuff so they can kind of bring something like that to the table and like you know um and act it but then you know as soon as the director says cut they know when to stop and they go back into being patrick stewart or whoever right yeah but um there's certain actors where uh you know you cite like people like daniel day lewis mm. where he'll all of a sudden like like he was saying for gangs in new york um, uh, Liam Neeson would walk into the gym and all of a sudden, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis would be sitting there with his big handlebar mustache, look over at him and just be like, braced, just kind of give him a little curt nod and mm-hmm. then get up and like walk off and shit. And he's just like, he's like, Jesus, you know, and then, and then you would get, you know, Tom Hardy, um, when probably one of the best performances that I'd ever seen, um, not only of Tom Hardy, but just in general was this movie that he did, um, some years ago, which got him a lot of critical acclaim called Bronson. And, um, it was, uh, this 
bare knuckle boxer and repeat offender in the UK who's broken like some world record, I think, of like the um he's never killed anybody, but he's been in prison for like ever since the eighties. Mm-hmm. And he got let out for like ninety something days, maybe maybe less, maybe I think it was like sixty something days, and then immediately went right back in. Mm-hmm. Just and he's like super institutionalized, but he has this like this whole persona that's built upon him just being this gladiator who's willing to fight anybody and just cause nothing but carnage. So uh, Tom Hardy played this character, and um, he like really swung for the fences on this. I mean, so much so that like a lot of times in a movie, you overly sensationalize the person by like mm. saying like, "All right, I'm going to be you know I'm going to get jacked up on steroids and just get as big as a house and stuff." Yeah. He he built a prison body, so he was like personal trainer, and everybody were just like, "Yep, he you know he ate um, the way that a prisoner would eat." He did everything was all calisthenics and like body weight workouts and stuff that you can only do with, you know, four walls and a floor. And um and then he, you know, of course, like he he talked to Charles, uh the the guy's real name was Michael Peterson, but uh he went by the, the moniker, uh his bare knuckle boxing name was Charlie Bronson because he was as bad as Death Wish, right? Mm-hmm. So um and and he and he really went for it. And this movie was like it was kind of a it's like a surreal almost like a Stanley Kubrick biography, like p- picture of like Stanley Kubrick, you know, doing like, you know, something like the shining mm-hmm. decided to like focus on a real life person, mm-hmm. you know, how he'd make it very like odd and surreal and like, you know, weird color carpet and like long shots of just a person just standing there, staring there for like 30 seconds before something very like awkward or weird happens. Mm-hmm. Well, that was what this movie was like. And, um, and Tom Hardy just completely sold it and it would, it would break the fourth wall throughout the movie too so he would be doing like his his actual character stuff and then there's like parts where he's like in this auditorium addressing a crowd of people and he's like telling them his life story and narrating and i mean you were just like jesus man this guy just was just intense and um but you know then at the same time you know people talk about that and they say that a lot of these actors too they go to these really like dark places or difficult places and sometimes they kind of like lose a piece of themselves in that abyss yeah or they bring something back with them from the depths and of course that can be problematic because then now in everyday life and regular relationships and shit they kind of have this like they don't really know who they are yeah you know And, and 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 that and that gets weird too like sometimes when you meet actors or um certain types of business people i've noticed too where they have like this real like kind of tony robbins sort of mindset where they, they look you in the eye they repeat your name like 15 times in the conversation to remember it and they do all these like these things mm-hmm. but they don't really take the time to get to know you yeah they're just doing like the the 12 steps to success power moves yeah, yeah. and you kind of go like man what what the fuck you know tom cruise apparently is like that where he'll like be real intense when he's talking to you and like listening to everything you say and then he won't talk to you for like 17 years and then bump into you and then be like you know hey how's george doing and you go what the fuck you know like which is pretty impressive it's impressive yeah but to me that's people skills right right there but then it's like at the same time sometimes that can be scary too because then it's like if he's around people that are just like his regular people they'll even say or you know anybody that's eccentric eccentric artists and creators are like that where they say yeah they they'll be able to like identify and connect with everybody else outside of them but they cannot 
they have like a really bad relationship with mom and dad or, mm, yeah. you know, people that are super close to them and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, it's like a, a it's a sad thing too. Cause you watch people who act and they inspire people and they, you know, do all these like great things on screen. And then they're kind of like that tortured artist, you know, as yeah. soon as the camera's off. So yeah, I hear like Julia Roberts is like one of those art, one of those actresses. Yeah. That's just like a shithead, <laughs> like a bat shithead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this make me think. This makes me think of, um, man, makes me think of Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, um, dude, it's because if you think about it, I don't think there's anyone else that can play Tony Stark. No, not at all. Um, the thing is, I feel like he just is Tony Stark. Yeah, like even even when he was on the Joe Rogan podcast, uh-huh. like, dude, it's like mannerisms everything yeah it's just like dude it's like you didn't even get out of character right like you literally are fucking tony stark with just without the gadgets and technology and right. obviously the fucking iron man suit but i'm like dude you're like you're fucking cool yeah. <laughs> like, you know? well same with when he did sherlock because yeah, yeah, people forget yeah. that if you read the sir arthur conan doyle books sherlock holmes was not this refined nice english gentleman that like Basil Rathbone and like all these other English actors were doing like in the you know the 50s and the 60s and the 70s where they made him like you know oh pip pip you know and mm-hmm. dear Watson it's elementary it was like no if you read Arthur Conan Doyle's shit it was um, a lot of what they did in the movie uh, that Johnny Depp did called From Hell um, that was about you know that that detective guy that's like going after Jack the Ripper mm-hmm. was an homage to Sherlock Holmes because Holmes was known to be this like avid drug user and did anything and everything under the table and had, and had sociopathic tendencies Mm -hmm. where he didn't really understand like human interaction. Mm -hmm. And that's why he desperately was codependent on Watson because Watson was his barometer. Mm -hmm. He kind of like how sometimes like you'll notice that uh, people with autism that are functioning might have like one or two people around them where they kind of look and they, they go like, was, is that, is that right? Is that how you're supposed to do that to, when you talk to a human being, is that how you're supposed to smile at them? And then you go, yeah, but less like, don't show your teeth. Like you're about to bite them, like smile genuinely. Mm-hmm. And they go, Oh, okay. They, they need somebody to kind of reflect that off of. Cause if they do it themselves, they have no clue. And, um, and that's why, you know, I think, uh, when Guy Ritchie did that Sherlock Holmes, and then of course the, um, the Cumberbatch, um, you yeah. know, Holmes, uh, or Sherlock series, um, those were bringing, I think, everything back to like the true essence of the character. Yeah. And you realize that, you know, this is a very complicated individual. And I think Robert Downey Jr. understood that because, you know, years of being, um, you know, like an L.A. kid, mm-hmm. um, much like Shia LaBeouf. Um, yeah, yeah. Is the same the same or LaBeouf or whatever LaBeouf or LaBeouf um, is is the same kind of way. Like you live in that place where it's just nothing but like you know sycophantic fake industry people day in and day out. Yeah, and you either know the game and you know you've been to the puppet show and seen all the strings, mm-hmm. or you kind of get caught up in it so much to the point where it's like you know, you don't really know who you are and you're yeah. equally as fake. So I think that Robert Downey yeah. Jr. had always been a very cynical kind of guy. Yeah. And that because, you know, he'd, he'd seen all these people and plus, you know, all the shit that he was doing personally in his life. Yeah. And I, his his big swan song that kind of brought him back into the good graces of, of not only Hollywood, but just the public eye was um, after 
the years of like reading the tabloids and like seeing him, you know, popping up like in a drug induced stupor, sleeping on someone's couch mm-hmm. in the Hollywood Hills, just sleeping there. And someone's like, what the fuck? Robert, Robert Downey Jr. He was like, Hey, what's up? Mm-hmm. You know, um, was, uh, he did this movie. Um, it was the writer of, um, the writer of lethal weapon. It's a guy named Shane black. Mm-hmm. And Shane Black was also in Predator. He was the guy with the thick glasses that told all, told all the dirty jokes. He was the first guy to get killed in mm-hmm. Predator. That's Shane Black. So he makes this movie that's like a detective, hard boiled film noir, but it's in set in like modern day L.A. Mm-hmm. And it was called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And it was Robert Downey Jr. and it was uh, Val Kilmer. Mm-hmm. And this movie was phenomenally good. It was really good. And everyone, it, it popped up back on his radar. And then next thing you know, he started getting work again. He did uh, that movie with Jamie Foxx, uh, The Soloist. Yeah. yeah. The one about the, the homeless cellist mm-hmm. and everything. And then next thing you know, it was just like, oh, hey, you know, we were thinking, you know, who would be better to play this struggling kind of somewhat egomaniac that has like a substance problem than Robert Downey Jr., a la Tony Stark, mm-hmm. you know? And then they're then like, oh, who else would also be a shoe in for Sherlock Holmes? Yeah. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. And it's just yeah. like, and people are like scared. They go, well, but you know, what if he relapses because of the, the role? And it's like, no, that's the thing is that, you know, um, Sam Jackson, he even um, was, uh, he struggled with addiction. Mm-hmm. And acting is what saved him. He said that what he did was he turned all of his addiction to acting. And that's what brought him back. And then when he did the movie Jungle Fever, he, you know, he embodied that character simply because he he lived that like five years before 10 years before or whatever um and he's just like he's that he's that kind of uh that kind of guy though that just says as long as i keep working and that's why sam jackson has been in like you know literally like hundreds of movies is you know um he he kind of figured out like where he stood in the whole mix of things and he goes as long as i'm not idle and as long as i'm not like lacking purpose then i'm going to be fine but mm-hmm. the minute that I start to feel like I'm regressing back or I get a little bit too comfortable, and that's what we know about is dancing too, right? Like mm-hmm. where you feel like you've won, won too many titles, you get kind of, you, you get you get a little bit um, like your, your teeth start to lose their edge yeah. and you're no longer out there hunting anymore because you survive. Mm-hmm. You, all you got to do is just snap your fingers and everyone will bring something to you. That damages your character a lot. That yeah. damages your sense of self and it makes you feel um, kind of... Um, uh, kind of like, well, you know, I, I could just do whatever I want. Yeah. And you and you get like, you know, they say like an idle mind is a devil's plaything, right? Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel that like guys like Robert Downey Jr. and Sam Jackson and other people who, you know, who struggled with like years of addiction can get away with those movies, not for fear of like regressing back, but because they have that direct experience. Yeah. Just like, you know, some of the best, you know, actors who came out of like f- serving in wars, mm-hmm. you know, Lee Marvin, um, uh, you know, served in the military. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's doing like, you know, the dirty dozen and the magnificent seven, like all these movies where it's always like a guy, you know, who's like this real badass dude. Who's kind of stoic mm-hmm. who has like taken a life. And it's just like, I'm pretty sure that he, he had some, some fucking blood on his hands at one point in time. Yeah. And he was able to draw off of that versus like, you know, the asshole who pretends like he's this big glorious, you know, yeah. And I'm going to shoot from the hip and, you know, war is glorious and everything. It's like he kind of always acted like whenever you watch Lee Marvin movies, it was, he never did it like he was proud of it. 
he was never like this like guy going like come on boys let's charge the hill it was always kind of like he he just had this like real heaviness about him right like he's just like all right i guess i gotta go fuck some people up now Mm -hmm. i don't want to do it but you know whatever it's it's my lot in life yeah you know i always thought that like lee marvin if he was like way younger or let's say like we like fast forwarded and, and brought him physically like to the future he would have always been in my opinion like a good uh um, old man Logan it, to play mm. like Wolverine yeah, because yeah. he has that same kind of like disposition just that that tired gunfighter who's been through just hell mm. and then all of a sudden someone still comes up and just wants a piece of him and he's just like dude I just want to mind my own fucking business and live out the rest of my days yeah, yeah. you know so yeah so it's yeah I, I, I dig that I, I, I dig the fact that you you like a lot of these actors who you can just kind of tell the quality of their their craft yeah. based on you know experiences yeah. of their life and stuff yeah no yeah i'd have to say that you know rdj is like one of my favorite actors yeah. of all time right now mm-hmm. um yeah i got a ton of favorite fucking actors but you know kind of going back on the dance tip mm-hmm. um, like because we went right into just movies <laughs> yeah yeah oh, shit. we swear shit. Uh, we swear that this is this is about house but yeah whatever in a sense it is in a sense it isn't oh well surprise about life surprise surprise motherfucker um uh, no, when you mentioned how someone will get really comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, and they start feeling a little like a little on edge or start getting confused or not, you know, kind of finding, kind of losing track of who they are. Um, when I when I think of that, a dancer that comes to mind is a uh, David David Stalter Jr. Okay, um, I'm not saying that he lost track of who he was or anything mm-hmm. like that, but I remember it had to be about a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking at uh, at Wednesday House session, yeah, and um and we've chatted before like online, like we'd be like through Snapchat or some shit. But mm-hmm. I would tell him I was like, dude, you know you're winning all this shit here in Minnesota, mm-hmm. which is dope. But I think you need to start traveling, more. yeah. You know, I, need, I think you need to travel and you need to you need to see what else is out there, right? Like AKA, you need to get your ass fucking whooped, mm-hmm. get your ass handed to you, or you need to you need another challenge, which will you know define who you really are right as a dancer and you know he definitely did that oh yeah like he's definitely he's definitely been that prime example of that dancer that literally that finally fucking listened to me mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> as i tell a lot of dancers that are that continuously win in our stay i'm like dude congrats good job mm-hmm. but i think you've won almost everything here yeah i think it's time for you to start you know because right now you're technically a big fish in a in a small pond yeah um not saying our pond is small or anything like that, but you know, you know everyone. Right. That's why, I, like, I'm I'm nowhere near winning all these fucking titles and mm-hmm. and jams like like Joe, like Minnesota Joe or like David Junior or anything like mm-hmm. that. But I've been in this fucking scene for right. twenty years now. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and just say twenty years because mm-hmm. come February, that's what it'll really be. Right. And it's like I've seen it all. I've battled everyone. I know everyone, or at least almost everyone. Mm-hmm. There's obviously a lot of newer kids that are coming into play, but I know a lot of people here, and and, it, and it's vice versa. You know, right. Because of, of the fact that I've been around, I kept myself relevant. Like a lot of people know who I am around here. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like I don't find excitement at all when it comes down to competing here. And I right. think that if you're someone that competes constantly that's one or that's just been in the scene for like 10 plus years, then I think you should probably feel the same as well. Yeah. You know, cause to me, in my personal opinion, if you're, if you've been in the scene for 
you know, five, ten plus years, mm-hmm. right? And you're winning every fucking thing. And you're, you know, doing this and this and that. To me, that's your ego. Yeah. That you haven't checked yet. Right. And especially if you haven't traveled, mm-hmm. yo, you, you need to really rethink right. your strategy. Rethink your, your future with here. You know, because the last thing you want to be is just a hometown sellout. Well, know? and, you know, and, and the thing, too, is that it's it's all about the mentality. Because um, some people don't even have, like, that sellout mindset. They just simply just don't really think that they are either they they don't under, they don't understand their their the potential to be able to travel. Yeah, you know, kind of kind of like going back to uh, uh, the last podcast um, when uh, talking with Raul, and you know, and he was he was using that allegory about the um, the adult elephant and the baby elephant. Yeah, you yep. know, where the baby sees like all these like infinite possibilities but they just don't have the strength and the size yet mm-hmm. and the adult is tethered too much to their old ways and they're kind of still like attached by a leash to a, a tree that they can easily rip out of the ground right yeah um so what's kind of the what's kind of the thing is that sometimes there, there's there's youth who spend a lot of time you know developing their skills here and cutting their teeth and then finally when it's like okay now your opportunity is you should go one state over to this jam or go two states over or fly to a coast or, Hey, guess what? This person who came out here that we hosted really gravitated towards you. And they invited you to come out and do something with their company or their troop or what have you in, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever city or country. And, um, and sometimes there's, there's youth who will just be like, okay, well it's an opportunity and I'm young and I don't really have any other obligations so I'm going to go for it. Yeah. And there's other people who just get very um, nervous because, um, you know, it's uh, it's inter- it's interesting that we do a dance. And this is something that I think that I don't know if everybody ever really thinks about this. But what's so beautiful about this dance is that we are a living comic book character. Yeah. We, yeah. we created our name or... You know, sometimes it was given to us or something like that. But ultimately, it was like we have an origin story. Every single one of us has this origin story. Mm-hmm. And then we developed a superpower. And then somebody puts a name to identify with that superpower. And then you go out and you have all these, like, exploits and these adventures that you go on. And sometimes that can be a very heavy concept for some people because they say, well, you know what? Before I was b-girl so-and-so or b-boy so-and-so or poppin so-and-so i was just you know bill Mm. and all of a sudden now i've got to defend this name this persona this identity and people are coming after me day in and day out like i'm some sort of like a a gunfighter that they just want to call out and build their name off of and you know um you get other people in your crew that maybe whether they're aware of it or not you kind of like have like this pressure and this expectation where you're like, I got to keep representing. I got to keep making sure that I'm not letting the side down. Um, And then you get to a point where you're no longer like climbing the mountain just for the development of you. Mm -hmm. You are just trying not to lose. Yeah. And that can be very fucked up for people. And some people, they have to take a step back from the dance and reevaluate what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And other people, they, they kind of, um, that's where they feel the most alive is when they're in the pressure. So they say, yo, when's the next thing? And who am I going to battle next? And you know what? 
in my day in, day in and day out life, I'm really nothing. But when I'm on that stage or when I'm in that cipher, I'm, you know, so-and-so, yeah. you know, and it's, it, it's, it's kind of a weird, it's a, it's a, it's a very weird, unique situation that we live in mm-hmm. with this as dancers, because this is not like, um, um, you can be a successful and notable dancer and have never done one music video. You never went to Hollywood. You never danced on stage with these big name superstars and you can still be legit for 15, 20, 30 years. Sure. You know, I mean, it's, it's amazing when it's like, I, you know, I knew people that, um, believe it or not, like, you know, like remind is a good example, right? I think remind is the same age as I am, or maybe he's a year younger than me, but I've seen him dance for so long that I feel like he's like this, like, you know, this like OG seasoned veteran of the third generation B-boys. Right. Yeah. And, but it's amazing that you know you can see somebody like that and and have them be that famous in the dance community and you, you know I've never seen him in you know one music video I never saw him in you got served 6 or you know he never played some bit role in some you know hip hop movie and they put him in the background or whatever mm-hmm. none of that shit but he's totally established yeah you know yeah. completely legit and respected by a lot of people mm-hmm. you know and then and then of course then you look at like the music industry where there's people that you don't know, and then all of a sudden one year, all this promotion goes into them. They just become, you know, they're the new, uh, they're the new horse in the stable that you have to push forward to say this. You need this product. Yeah. You need this person's album. They are the best MC of all time. Da 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 da. And I'm like yeah. kind of listening to them, going like, you know, but I never got to see you through the come up. It was just like one day. All of a sudden, you know, this guy with tattoos all over his fucking face and rainbow teeth is just there. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going like, you know, did, did you win a Scribble Jam um, MC battle? Did you spit bars on Stretch and Bobito? Yeah. Were you on, you know, uh, 106 and, and, um, and Park? Mm-hmm. You know, like, were, were, you, were, were you doing, like, any of these other things leading up to your arrival? Or was it just like, here, you're just... You're, you're just established yeah and you know i mean it's like and nowadays with social media it's like a whole nother animal because we all have the ability now to just record ourselves whereas we needed an industry before yeah um or we needed people to decide to like get video footage of us and put it on like a compilation tape and then sell that and market it and then on now people across the country around the world know who you are mm-hmm. when before you were just local as shit yeah so it's kind of a strange thing and i and i could feel and understand where some dancers um, that are like local have apprehensions about going out and traveling. But if you really, really believe in your craft and you take your dance serious, you have, you have to get out of fighting smokers. You know, you can't just keep doing, you know, the, the, the little octagon in a parking lot with a tent and, you know, you're fighting some amateur person for 50 bucks, you know, and you might yeah. be the, the baddest motherfucker in, you know, in the city or whatever. Yeah. But all of a sudden, you know, the UFC calls you and says, hey, somebody dropped out. You're, you know, you're a very capable fighter. What do you say? You know, and you got an opportunity to, to move up yeah. and you decide not to do it. You'd much rather just keep fighting, you know, in parking lots of strip clubs and mm-hmm. that kind of shit. Yeah. It's like what you're doing then is you're you're completely there's like there's so many people behind you that would just they would bleed to to have that opportunity so it's like don't waste it 
Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. especially if you're in your prime or you're in your developmental stages, it's like utilize those those opportunities yeah. and really seize that day because there's people that I know that are like in their 50s who just go, dude, all I ever wanted was one shot. And he's like, and I fucked it up when I was 23. Yeah. You know, I could have been a contender and I fucked it up. Mm-hmm. So it's like really like take those lessons from those people that you saw that, that lost mm-hmm. and say, yo, um, I would much rather have like taken my shot and failed than never have taken my shot at all. And then yeah. keep thinking, you know, when you're 40 or 50, like, uh, what if? I yeah. wonder, you know, what yeah. what would have happened if I would have made, made that left turn instead of that right turn in that time. Yeah, exactly like what Michael Jordan said mm-hmm. in, uh, in The Last Dance. is, you know, why would I think about missing a shot I haven't taken yet? Right. You know, that's such a powerful statement yeah. that I think everyone should should really take into consideration <laughs> when, mm-hmm. when they're when they start thinking twice, even ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, we're only human and it's, it's natural to think twice right. about, about your situation, you know, cause you just want to make sure you come out right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, David jr, man, that's why I gotta give him, I gotta give him a shout out. Yeah. Too, shout like, out David. Cause he's, he's literally doing what he can mm-hmm. and he's always challenging himself. Yeah. And that's why he is who he is, you know, and there's a lot of dancers to mention here in, in Minnesota that do the same shit. Mm-hmm. Like Herb, you know, like Herb Johnson, yep. um, you know, he puts up for the crump community along with everyone else. And, yeah. you know, it's nothing but props. Right. Um, I remember this is like a long, this is a while ago. And I don't know, maybe my ego was just so high back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my crewmates, his name is Calvin and he was, in, he's in break cops. And uh, Calvin was like, you know, what if somebody else started teaching house here in Minnesota? You know, like, how would that make you feel and stuff? And I was like, I'd happily accept it mm-hmm. and stuff. He's like, really? I think you would, I think you'd hate it. You know, I think you wouldn't like it. I'm like, no, no, no. I, I would really accept it. I, yeah. And even to this day, like if someone was to fucking open up another a house class without even like asking me about it or anything like right. that, because honestly, I don't. I honestly don't expect anyone to ask me for shit yeah. when it comes down to this. Like, um, I think people have built up this picture of me here in Minnesota where it's like, you know, he's the he's the representative, which, you know, in a sense, I guess, if you want to really think about it, and yeah, maybe people hit me up mm-hmm. from out of town about house, mm-hmm. you know, and shit like that. But I honestly don't expect anyone. For those of you that are listening from Minnesota – I don't expect any of you guys to get my approval to throw a fucking house class or do a house workshop. I like to me at the end of it, that's going to be on you. Yeah. And, um, and there's already been, well, there's already been a couple of people that have already done it. Mm-hmm. You know, like Zach threw a house or Zach started a, a house class at straight line. And yep. oh, and of course it was because I, you know, or it was a lot of it was from me too. I'm yeah. telling him to fucking do it. Right. But, um, but there's already been people that have already done that. And I honestly felt no fucking threat from it. And my reasoning for that, you know, it's because I've been doing this for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And my reasoning for it is like, you know, real recognizes real. Right. So if they like the product or they, if they like the style or the method that that person's, that how they teach, then fucking go ahead. Right. Who cares? Um, if anything, it gives me motivation to be better, to right. be better at what I do. Like, if anything, I want competition. Right. I want that shit. Not saying that, like... It's just that no one's really attacking it as hard as I am right now. Yeah. But I hope that there will be someone that fucking does do it, that right. takes that responsibility, takes it to their own hands. I hope that 
a fucking amazing house dancer moves to Minnesota right. and like trashes me and everything like that. I, I <laughs> fucking hope that happens. Like I hope like a pro I literally hope a prominent OG house dancer who comes here to Minnesota, yeah. calls me out, calls me a fucking phony and says all this bad shit about me. I hope it happens. I honestly do. Because for one, I don't have to worry about shit anymore. Mm-hmm. I'll gladly hand it over and be like, you know what? I'll, if anything, because if they're an OG, I'll, I'll show her something. Like, you know what? You're right. Um, I don't believe that I'm trash. Mm-hmm. You know, I do believe that I've tried to do my due diligence to the culture right. as, as pure as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but feel free to take over. I will be one of your students. Yeah. And, you know, you'll probably feel like shit after. Right. <laughs> after well, we you know, because like, like the saying, you know, heavy layeth the crown, right? Yeah. Like, or, you know, or weigheth the crown. There's there's just this thing where, and, and again, this goes back into that, that fucking that nonsensical famine mentality that people get into where it's like, you know, you want to be like the authority and the gatekeeper because it makes you feel special rather than um, putting your own ego aside to say, you know, what is best for the scene? So it's like, if, you know, if you're the only person that can do a 540 on the ramp and then all of a sudden some, some up and coming, you know, kid does a 720, you're like, great. Yeah. Now I got something to learn from that guy. Yeah. Or, you know, I, I, I was able to kind of just show other people what was possible mm-hmm. and then somebody was able to take it and go above and beyond. Yeah. But what happens too is, um, again, we develop these, like, it's a psychological thing about like developing these constructs where it's like, finally, you know, in your high school or whatever, you're the one guy who can do windmills. Yeah. So you're special. And like nobody else at the school dances can do windmills at all. Yeah. So every time you go out, you always pretend like you're the reluctant hero. You're like, all right, whatever. And everyone's like, mm-hmm. do a windmill, do a windmill. Yeah. And you do a windmill, and everyone's like, hey, you're the fucking hero. And then all of a sudden, you go to your first jam, mm-hmm. and everybody can do windmills. Yeah. And they're looking at you like, yo, you're a freshman just like everybody else here. Yeah. So what What the fuck are, new are you going to bring to the table? Well, you know how amazing that feeling is? Yeah. Being a freshman? Yeah. Again? Because then, then you're like, you're like, great. Now, because you do, you do one of two things. You either gulp and go like, oh shit, I'm out of my league here. Or you go, dude, they're doing stuff that I never even thought was possible. So now it's going to challenge you to go back home and start practicing again. Yeah. Like, you know? dude, honestly, that's what Blueprint does for me all the oh, time. Oh, it sharpens your teeth. Yeah, like Blueprint, New York, just any any house event that I mm-hmm. go to nowadays here in, here in the U.S., like, yeah, that's what it does for me. But, like, again, if somebody that's super prominent, like, just fucking came into town and decided to take over and, mm-hmm. you know, go to the U of M and, you know, do that whole shit, yeah. like, I'd, I'd gladly be like, hell yeah. Because yeah. in the early in my early years of house, my goal was to teach people that were going to be better than me and that can teach it. Right. So I don't have to worry about it. Right. Because I'm so fucking lazy. You know, like <laughs> like this is a, it's the given fact. Um, but you know, unfortunate due to unfor- unfortunate circumstances, like I had to take responsibility again. Right. So I'm like, oh fuck it, I'll just grab it by the horns again and try to build it again. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, like I'll gladly like accept it right i'll gladly like sure yep if anyone here is listening <laughs> if you want to just be the be the fucking person all, all of a sudden khalif just hits us up and goes hey guys i'm, I'm gonna move out to uh, minneapolis perfect and, you know hell yeah like, oh shit okay perfect. cool i will do i will <laughs> i will help him in any way possible yeah <laughs> to make to to make sure he's taken care of yeah fuck yeah yeah hell yeah why the fuck not you know like i that's why that's why I flew so many people in here. Yeah. Because I'm like, perfect. Now they can, everyone can get a different perspective. 
and hopefully one that's better than mine. Well, you know what's funny is that it's kind of it's almost in a way it's like it's a little bit self-serving too. Like you're like I'm flying these people out here so that way I can also get better by being around this person and like learning from this person too. Oh, yeah. Is versus just like sitting back in the cut and crossing your arms and going like rolling your eyes going all right well everyone thinks that this person here is so fucking wonderful well that would, that would be fucking stupid yeah exactly because for, for, for one then why would i spend so much money you know how much right. money i lost yeah doing this you know how much money i'm, I'm going to continue to lose doing this and like I, i'm not done flying people in right and and what what's uh what's dope though and this is this is the trade-off is um kind of reminds me of uh to bring it back to skateboarding again was like when Rodney, Mullen, uh, Rodney Mullen's father was trying to kind of rationalize with him, he says, don't you realize you're excelling in something that doesn't really matter? You know, you, you've got this, you're, you're a genius, you're a certified genius. Mm-hmm. Um, don't waste that. You yeah. know, and you're sitting here playing on a kid's toy, a fucking yo-yo of, of sorts mm-hmm. with your feet. Yeah. And, but, but what Rodney Mullen was trying to explain to his father, but maybe he just didn't have the words at that moment in time, was that, he was creating currency in a different kind of way to, to like right now to where people will, will say like, you can like look in like the dictionary and you'll find moves that he's made and they have like definition. Mm -hmm. Um, in some ways people might think that, you know, what you're doing is like, just it's empty because, you know, why would you spend, you know, so much money to fly this person out, uh, get something set up at a um, uh, for them to do a, a workshop on you know okay. Saturday and Sunday. Plus, hopefully, get them a, a judging gig at the jam or the event, yeah. and then you know get them paid on all all four accounts. Yeah. It's like it's like, but but you know, um, developing knowledge and having relationships with people is truly is priceless. Yeah, I mean, how empty is it when you pay you know? $50 or $100 or whatever to go to a concert and you see some asshole on stage that doesn't know you, that doesn't give a shit about you, that's never going to talk to you, they don't look you in the eye, they're up there, they do their, their run, and they say, thank you, Indianapolis, good night, and you're like, it's Minneapolis, asshole, you don't even know where the fuck you are right now, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Versus, you know, in, in, our, in our world where you can have somebody that you've watched on bootleg videotapes or on like you know jam highlights or youtube um highlights and they're actually riding shotgun in your car with you yeah and you're having this conversation with them talking about shit just not even about dance like just just chatting not even like that chris farley you know uh routine you know remember that time in that movie when you were doing that thing you know Mm -hmm. that one you know it's like it's more along the lines of like saying like hey man um so what's your favorite color yeah <laughs> you know yeah and when you know that kind of stuff about a person it it adds so much more depth because now it's even beyond the dance and the name it's yeah. like this is a, an individual they've got thoughts emotions feelings um yeah. they have aspirations and dreams yeah they have fears they have everything that you have and then once you realize that it it also like gives you this level of like empowerment too because you go yo if this person can be successful um, I can do it too. It's attainable. Yeah. Like, you know? like dude, well, and I mentioned this in other podcasts before, but like when I've, when people come in to do workshops, mm-hmm. especially when I bring them in, I don't mm-hmm. give a fuck about the way, like I, obviously their movement had something to do with me bringing them out here. Right. Um, but I, I'm more, I'm, I care more about what, what they think about. Yeah. You know, like what, like, yeah, 
the dance psychology is huge. Yep. You know, I'm all about that because I'm like, why do you teach the way you teach? You know, but I don't give a shit about their movement because I can right. do it too. I'm like, it's easy. I could literally do what you're. I'm confident enough to know that I can, I can imitate what you're doing. Yep. Because all it takes is just practice and you know all drilling and all that shit. But I really want to know what you think about. Like I want to know, like Jardy and I, when we have conversations. Mm-hmm. We're good friends now, yeah. But like when we have conversations, a lot of the times it's just about fucking nerding out about tech bags and right. shit. Like we right. talk about backpacks and all that shit that has nothing to do with dance. Yep. You know, and it's like that's just <laughs> that's just how it is. Yeah. You know, well, we don't we don't give a fuck, dude. Like when I met him at City vs City with you, what was interesting was um, that was the first time I think that. That that's where I knew I was like I was growing in a different direction than where I was going on my on my breaking trajectory, right? Because this was the first time that I didn't have a question about a technical aspect of dance. Mm-hmm. I just told Jardy I was just like flat out. He, um, I was just like, hey man, I, I really like your tutorials. I, I like how concise they are, especially being that I grew up in house culture, yeah. but I was like oblivious to the method of house dance. Like I'd, I'd seen people do it, but I didn't understand how it was done. I just kind of emulated it. So sort of like, you know, like you, you watch someone who's double jointed yeah. that can do something. And then you see like a person who's like been doing like yoga for decades and they can do that completely at will. Mm-hmm. And they understand it more intricately. Yeah. It's like you, you might've been able to pop your one arm out of the socket and it's kind of a cool thing at parties. But then someone says, okay, here, I'm going to show you how to be able to do that on your opposite side too. So when I talked to Jardy, and uh, that was that that was like that weird trifecta, right? Where it was like we were talking with Jardy, and then uh, also uh, Remind was there, and um, I think I was getting up with uh, I think that was the first time I met TikTok as well, mm. and um, and a few other people, and what I really drew from that was more along the lines of like sometimes you become a better dancer, not necessarily by learning more techniques, but by the philosophy yeah. and the mindset. Yeah. And, you know, so when, um, every time I would, uh, take one of those like conversations into consideration, I noticed, um, a different sensibility in my movement. People, it's kind of, they would go, Oh wow. You went to, you know, wherever you went and you're, you're a better dancer. Which was funny because they they thought that maybe I, like I took like a bunch of workshops and shit. I was like, no, I didn't take any workshops. All I did was go clubbing. Yeah, I went to the jam, didn't even compete, just socially danced, and then mm-hmm. we went to an after party, and I got to talk for three hours with you know, yeah, so and so, yeah, you know, yeah. and but it it all it completely shows, you yeah. know, and yeah. I mean shit, dude. Every, every time that you traveled, I was just like motherfucker, because like every time you'd come back, you'd come back with like another. Uh, another um like refined tool or mindset yeah and it was it was kind of cool because like i i dug um your process because i would see something that maybe even like a conversation might have been told to you but you didn't tell me what was spoken yet Mm -hmm. but i see you at session running something through your mind and like working out the knots there yeah and i'm kind (laughs) of sitting there i'm like looking at you and i'm going you're on to something yeah and then all of a sudden (laughs) and then and then finally like one day you know, we'll be driving and then you go, Oh yeah. You know, I, I haven't talked for like three weeks. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, uh, I don't know. Maybe you were like thinking some mean, hurtful shit. And you're like, no, it was this one thing that so-and-so said to me when I was out in New York or in France or wherever I was at. And then 
you know, and then like you, you, you say it and I go, really? That that's what caused you to like completely just go into like lab mode back there. And you're like, mm-hmm. yep. It just, it just told me something about like, Oh fuck, I'm not practicing right. Or I need to do this differently or I need to do this in reverse or yeah. something. And you know, I always admired that about you, and I, I always appreciated that because then I, I felt uh, very privileged to be able to, when I was invited to go to uh, travel with you, I got to get that experience too. Yeah. And then that made me a better dancer for it. And then also anytime that I was, like, you know, helping anybody here in the Twin Cities, I was able to draw off of that experience rather than just simply being the guy that's been around and being like, you know, yo, man, I was a B-boy back in the day, oh, you know, man, and it's just yeah. like, yeah, but <laughs> but did you ever travel? Did you ever... Did you ever build with anybody outside of Minnesota? No, yeah. man, we were the fucking, you know, we were the crew here, you know, 1986 or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but did you, you didn't do anything with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's just like, and then after like 1987, when it breaking was like fucking deader than dead, it's like nobody was doing it because, you know, they didn't really truly love it as much. And then all of a sudden all these other kids pick it up and then people come back and they go, oh, yo, but what about us? What about us? And it's like, well, what about you? You know? Yeah. You know, it's like you got to if, if, if this is something that's really part of you, you do it through the famine as well as the feast. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you you have those lean days where you still say, yo, I still go down in the basement and I do footwork drills or I do handstand push ups or I do whatever, mm-hmm. you know, to stay connected to it. And then all of a sudden, you know, five years goes by and then now, bam, there's a jam when there hasn't been a jam in like, you know almost half a decade. It's just and, like our, it feels like our case right now. Yeah. And it's just like, so th- I think this is really like the testing grounds yeah. for where we're at, you know, uh, mentally, like, cause some people were just like saying, well, there's no purpose. So why the fuck am I even going to dance? Why am I even going to practice? There's no one to impress. There's no one to learn from. There's nothing to do. There's I, no, yeah, I think that's fucking stupid. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, you know what, man, this is, this is, this is exactly the time. Yeah. This is the time where you're like, you know, you're in the mountains and all you've got is, you know, your, your whetstone and your sword. Yeah. So you better be practicing your techniques. Yeah. You know, like to me, it's like, if you, if, if you honestly think like that, then you weren't a dancer to begin with. You were just faking the funk. Yeah. You're trying to, you're trying to, you're just trendy. You're, you're a trendy kind of person. Mm -hmm. Like the people that are serious about this, that have dedicated, that have lost money to this. Yeah. Um, they'll do this. Right. Like they don't obviously like everyone has their own circumstances, so they may not do it every day, but they'll fucking mm-hmm. get to it eventually. Like me, like I dance probably about three, four times a week. Yeah. And out of the four times, both two of those times are in my room, mm-hmm. in my room slash office. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I'm just in a small little fucking nook, just doing what I do, reviewing moves and just, you know, experimenting. Right. And shit. Um, you know, kind of, I kind of, man, I just thought of this right now. Like yeah. You mentioned it. Earlier, it was like, you know, something about repping a crew, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, like I, I had like the having like the, the, um, that self induced obligation. Yeah. Where it's like, I have to rep a crew. Right. To me, that's fucking bullshit. Too. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, if you're saying you have to, why are you in that crew? Right. Cause you should want to. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you have to. Right. That's kind of, it's kind of whack. Well, it's, it's like, think about this, right? Like, as DJs, before Serato and all that other shit, right? This is just an example, is we know what it's like to have to carry heavy-ass crates and 
a coffin case with two turntables and your mixer and your sound system and everything else, and you have to wheel all that shit in before mm-hmm. the event, right? Yep. So other DJs or other uh, people that really understand that, they go, oh, yo, let me help you out, right? Yeah. Versus people who only take the, the jam or the event for granted, and they watch you carrying and struggling all this shit, and they're kind of like going like, you know, hurry up, we really want some music. You know, geez, man, you can't even get this fucking shit connected. What's oh, taking yeah. you so long? Yeah. And you're like, yo, again, it's it's that thing of like, you know, I, I have to represent the crew or sometimes the crew will even like impose that shit. Like, you know, yeah, you better do this and this and this. Otherwise, you know, you're out any, any errors and you're fucked up. Then I'm, I'm firing you yeah. versus like someone who says, no, man, we really believe in you. Do you believe in you? And also, do you believe in us? Do yeah. you, be- do you believe that like, we can't we can't fight this war alone. Yeah. So if you jump in, maybe that's going to be that little that little tide in the or the 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 turning in the, of the tide, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that you were able to get in and get down with us gave us enough room to be able to win or make a name or do something you know memorable at the event. Yeah. So yeah. So I mean, I I, I totally. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with that. It's like when I mentor people. Yeah. You know, like I, I do say like, yeah, you have to do exactly everything that I did. Uh-huh. But before that comes into play, obviously I have the, I have the, <laughs> I have the preliminary conversation. Yeah. Like for one, where do you want to go and what do you want to do? Right. Because if you want to be, if you want to experience the experiences that I have, then you're going to want to do this mm-hmm. shit. But if you don't want to, I don't know. Yeah. Figure it out. <laughs> you know, like luck my um my experience with my my sifu was like that um when i took on discipleship with him in the martial arts he didn't want to teach me he basically was like he was trying to pawn me off on his brother (laughs) his because his brother lived down in the twin cities and had a very successful wing chun school or two schools so he's like well hey if you get like a pool of friends like five or six people and you guys all like kick in like 10 15 bucks per person he'll make the trip up here because then it'll basically cover his expenses and shit mm-hmm. and you get to, you get to learn Wing chun so how cool is that and i was like no i want to learn from you and i would not fucking stop i mean and this it was a really interesting situation in that the basement that he was teaching all the other uh, neighborhood kids because it was a it was like a it was a pocket of um Hmong families that moved up together and they all bought like houses all within proximity of each other. Mm-hmm. So it was like this like real like close knit um, Hmong community in up in um, my area. And all the kids that were there were all in that basement, right? And I showed up and not only was I like given like the side eyes because, you know, I was a white boy, mm-hmm. you know, in a all Hmong, um, you know, environment, but like some kids had like apprehensions about me because they're wondering, they're like, all right, is this one of these hicks up here who's going to turn around and do some sideways shit to us? Is he going to turn around and say some racist shit or is he going to betray us? Other people were just like, yo, I, you know, I just don't like the fact that he's here. His, mm-hmm. his existence is kind of annoying. Um, other people were kind of like, yo man, he's, he seems cool. Just fucking leave him alone. And other kids were just like, Hey, I've got nothing better to do. So I'm just down here because everybody else is learning martial arts. Um, so I went from being in a packed basement when I first started training to, it was like the Navy SEALs. Like every couple of weeks, there'd be like one or two less kids. Like they went up to the bell and they dung and they, you know, they washed out, right? Mm-hmm. He never made anybody do anything. He basically showed you what you needed to do 
and then just said, okay, train. So some kids would, you know, would like kind of, you know, they'd be sitting there like holding like a push-up position on the ground, their chest like a few inches off the ground. And they'd be sitting there like laughing and giggling and playing around. And I was just completely like, I tuned everybody out and I only focused on the task. There was nothing else but the task. And all of a sudden, like it felt like I blinked and looked up and fucking everybody was gone. And I was the only crazy asshole that kept showing up every day or every couple of days to train almost to the point where he kind of just like he went from like tolerating me and kind of being like you know yeah he's probably gonna wash out here to all of a sudden being like impressed because when everybody else is gone then he said okay well i guess i'm gonna teach you teach you yeah and we developed this um this this real like uh um student and uh teacher mentorship um based on the fact that he said okay this is a complete open door policy meaning that uh, besides the fact that I have expectations, like, you know, you're not going to go out and fight and use use my family art for your own personal gains or anything else like that. Um, but if you don't want to do something, you don't want to do 300 push-ups, you don't have to do 300 push-ups. You can tell me to go fuck myself and get up and leave. It's like, and but you're missing out, not me. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're, losing, you're losing on that end. Yeah. Um, but if you... If I tell you, okay, well, the key to getting the successful in X, Y, and Z is that you have to be able to do 300 push-ups. Mm-hmm. Not do 300 push-ups or else. Just This is just the, the formula. Um, and then I'm going to leave you to it. Um, that gave me a different sense of responsibility that carried with me into dance tenfold. Because then finally in dance, it was like you barely had any like real teacher figures that were constantly going to be there to like crack the whip or hold your hand or make sure to adjust these little things a lot of it was like it was like taking an independent study course Mm -hmm. where basically they said okay well you know you want to graduate well here's your packet go and find a corner and just do the work and then come back over when you're finished yeah and hopefully you pass yeah so it's it's very interesting like when you talk about that like because some kids are very lucky now that they have the resources to be able to go to different schools, to have Zoom access, to have mentorship with people who've actually paid these dues. Because in our day, you know, we we really like we we had to go out and get that information because yeah. nobody else was going to just fucking give it to you. Well, like in our day too, it wasn't as structured yeah. as it is today. Like yeah. today, there's like an actual structure and right. you know formula yep. to get it done. Like, and even then, like, and I always say that Jardy is my mentor in house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. 100%. But let's remember, he wasn't here right. physically. Right. Like, I had to fucking send this dude clips of me mm-hmm. through social media, which wasn't as great as it is today, Yeah, just to get his insight. And I had to, like, I asked him, like, multiple questions, like, how do I create a scene or what's yeah. the best way to teach and everything. And I'm, like, I'm fucking grateful that he didn't even, like, question me on that. Right. Like, right away, he just gave me advice. Yeah. Him and Sneaks. Yep. Right away, yep. gave me advice. Shout and, out Sneaks. And also Link from Elite Force. He gave mm-hmm. me advice, too. He doesn't, like, the funny, <laughs> he's, like, one of those dance celebs. Like, he doesn't remember me at all. Yeah. Like, I've crossed paths with him plenty of times. The first time I ever crossed paths with him was at a funk box in yeah. New York. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, um, added him on Facebook, mm-hmm. found him on Facebook, added him and would just message him yeah, and shit. And like, you know that, but I, the last time I messaged, the first time I messaged him was the last time. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, he obviously doesn't remember me for shit anymore, yeah. but it, you know, like I would ask these guys, like, what, what do I have to do? 
like what can i do to create a community out of this and mm-hmm. yeah so shout out to them yeah. but again they weren't out here so it's like in a sense it's like i still have to fend for myself like i still have to get the work done right and the thing in the case point i i I'd, i wanted to get it done like right. i wanted to make something out of this right i wanted to do something so what, what i find interesting is you just said something that was a very very interesting uh uh, keyword there you didn't say m- maybe you said it like in the beginning beginning but it eventually evolved into what can i do to make a community yeah versus what can i do to get better yeah which, which kind of tells me your your heart in this which is um there's a lot of people who are basically just like you know how many necks do i need to step on and how many shoulders and heads do i need to step on to get to like the top of the mountain and you know fun you you realize when you get up there the air is really fucking thin it's a lonely it's a lonely feeling right it it sucks being at the summit because you've got nothing else to look forward to but if you're like if you're the person who says hey how can i set up tours to take people up and down from base camp to the top of the mountain and back down again safely it's like now you've got something um that's a lot more like soul satisfying Mm -hmm. and other people do too because you know, before then, it's like you had to climb up that motherfucker by yourself with no ropes yeah. and get yourself to a certain place where you could, like, finally create, like, a clip mm-hmm. and a, a line. And then now you can say, okay, well, now I can bring, like, 15 people up at a, at a time and we're not all going to get lost up here. Yeah. So it's like I, I'm that that's really moving to hear you say that because I've known so many other people who've always, like, stepped to dancers to say, what can I do to get better? Yeah. You know, well, don't get me wrong. Like there, there is a step one and step two. Mm-hmm. So step one is you got to, you got to obviously learn form, to dance. <laughs> yeah. You got to learn, you got to form some sort of credibility. And right. part of that is getting better at it. But no, I did realize that it's, it's lonely. And honestly, like, dude, even though if, even though I was working towards creating, you know, you know, even though in my early, the early parts of house, my house journey here in Minnesota, you know, if I was already doing what I can to create a community out of it, the shit was still fucking lonely, man. Yeah. Like traveling by myself at times, mm-hmm. it's a fucking lonely thing. Yeah. But, you know, as people start coming around, that's the beautiful thing about it. Right. You know, now you can like, I mean, the the time when you guys went to, when I finally had people at Blueprint with me, yeah. you being one of them, it was mm-hmm. the most glorious fucking thing ever. Because <laughs> now it's like, great. Now I don't have to fucking talk about how amazing this event is. Right. Now all these other people can talk about it. Right. Like, dude, I remember when Bradley came. Yeah. When Bradley came with um with me and Foot. And yeah, it was like, it was the funniest shit. Because it's like he fanboyed. Because Jardy was staying with us too. Right. It was like me, Bradley, Jardy, and Foot. Yeah. And, um... And I was like, yeah, guess who's staying with us? He was like, who? I was like, Jardy. He's like, what? Really? <laughs> he was like, for real? You serious? Yeah. He's like, would it, would it be weird if I asked him questions? I'm like, <laughs> no, nah, he's cool, man. He's chill. Just ask away, you know, like, and stuff. And, um, and uh, yeah, like, uh, after that trip, people at session were like, so how was Blueprint? I'm like, ask Bradley. Yeah. You know, like, you obviously know what I'm going to say, but ask Bradley because this was his first Blueprint. Right. You know, and. And of course, Bradley like said exactly what I said, but even further, <laughs> like, right. he like amped that shit up by the max. Well, and, and plus, it's 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 actually very enriching when you watch somebody else like you get to live it, relive it again through their eyes. Hell yeah! Because yeah. you've already had like the first experience going, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, but when you actually get to see somebody else 
for the first time. I mean, it's it's much like it's just like 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 watching like anybody else who you teach like a, a technique or you know even skateboarding. You watch someone like you know land an ollie for the first time, yeah, and you get chills again, yeah. like you did. Yeah, because you, you, I mean, you're like ollieing over garbage cans like it's nothing, yeah. and you're just like you know trying to get your ollies higher and better and cleaner and shit. But to just watch you know somebody finally just like get like just like you know an inch off the ground, just pop, and they and you heard the snap, and you you see every all the mechanics just kind of fell in the line, yeah, and they're not thinking about it; they just did it, yeah, and it's just like and they hit that that state of grace, yeah, and you go like oh my god, yeah, because again you know how it feels, like, yeah, even watching someone train yep. like have any sort of similarity to training the way you did mm-hmm. it's such a beautiful thing because mm-hmm. you're just like gosh i know exactly what that person's going through it's oh yeah fucking whack yep <laughs> but like you know i mentioned this in one of the other podcasts when this is one breaking session we used to have him at um i think it was in bloomington cedar uh-huh. valley church in yeah. bloomington and um it was tony tony tran from okay. from new heist or t- i think it was last name's tran uh-huh. from new heist and he was working on flares yeah um, and he was just recording himself. He would record himself. Mm-hmm. He would do flares. Um, and then, you know, fucking fuck up, get back up, stop the camera, yeah. watch the camera, do it again. Repetitive. Mm-hmm. And, uh, at the time it was like me and Joe, me and Minnesota Joe, and we were practicing together and he stopped. Right. And he literally watched Tony for 10 minutes. Right. Do this routine over and over again, this training regimen over and over again. And Joe just had the biggest smile on his face. And he was just like. That's how it's done, man. Dude. That, like, he looked at me. He's like, that's how it's done. And then, of course, he just stopped what he was doing, and he went over to Tony, and he, was, and he just gave him pointers right off the bat. That was th- – th- th- not only does this show credit on Minnesota Joe. I know this is, like, you know, fluffing up Minnesota Joe time. Uh, we should have a section in the, the show called Fluffing Minnesota. Minnesota. We should just get his ass on here, even yeah, though if he has nothing to do with house. I mean, he tried it. <laughs> yeah, but but you know, I mean, it's like it's like good and disciplined dancers. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter if they do ballet or if they do – house it's like you know they're they're still gonna have something to offer um but joe you know i've said my story before about you know joe and boogie and i and that fangirl that came in that wanted to like learn how to bust a move Mm -hmm. and you know and i tried to explain that shit to her and finally joe came up to me after not saying jack shit he just came over to me and like appreciated how articulate i was to her about what we go through he's Mm -hmm. like thank you for kind of voicing like what i was thinking but i just didn't have the words to say it. Yeah. Well, another thing about Joe, which is really dope, was um, we were at Bellare, which was, uh, for those who aren't familiar with the Twin Cities um, dance sessions and stuff, there was a studio in South Minneapolis called uh, Bellare that we had Sunday sessions out yeah. at. Yeah. Really, really dope, like, consistent sessions for years. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So the main room was the breaking room for all points and purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, it had the better floor because yep. it was the, it was the hardwood floor versus like that kind of weird rubbery. Like that, uh, what is it? Matte finish. Yeah. That, kinda... that, that kind of gray, almost like that gray. Um, it's like, it's like you could be on a barefoot and your feet were going to be like, like very, there's like still a lot of traction and stuff. So you mm-hmm. didn't want to work on ground power on that. Keep talking mm-hmm. while I take a piss. <laughs> okay. So, um, the, uh, what was what was interesting was I was struggling with with doing um, windmills and I was still breaking quite a bit. 
I'm working on mills. I'm working on mills and not, uh, not, not getting anywhere with them. And of course, you know, you're getting all your, your conventional B-boy burns, you know, your, your shoulders are getting all banged up. Um, you hit your, your hip quite a bit, um, when you're not doing them right. And plus I was doing like the, um, the beginner style for windmills, which is that, um, you know, planting your elbow, like you're doing a freeze, um, like you're doing like a chair or a baby freeze. And then from that pushing off o- over to your shoulders and trying to rotate and then overextend over to the other side and catching yourself again. Right. And then trying to, so it's like, you're trying to do like a continuous chair freeze or a continuous uh, baby freeze. Um, so I'd been working and working and working and struggling with this shit and to no avail, I still wasn't getting windmills. And then finally, the ice started to melt um, probably, you know, like a good like two weeks before I actually got my mills. And um, <clears throat> so this one night, I'm working and I'm noticing that instead of me starting like, um, in- instead of starting like in the freeze position and like pushing over, um, what I ended up starting to do in my mills was I was just... Um, um, I was just, I was just diving right into them. I wasn't even like doing the stab anymore and pushing over onto my back. I was just diving right through. And the more fluid that I became, the more I noticed that I could rotate over until finally I was going like, I was getting over to my feet and then finally my feet were like following through. And then I would basically go like, I would dive through on my back, get over to like the top of my, my, um, my, my head and my shoulders. And then I would just dive right through again. So finally I hit my first clean set of mills. And when I mean like my first clean set of mills, like I felt it, it felt like it it felt effortless. And I did like, like three or four rotations. I was like, boom, 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 boom. And all of a sudden I hear from the other side of the fucking dojo, Joe go, yeah. And I fucking look over because I thought maybe he like stuck some crazy shit and he was looking at my ass. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, what? And he was like, bro, and he comes over and he just totally geeks out. Like like and, and not like he wasn't he wasn't trying to hoist me up on his goddamn shoulders like I you know just you know best of the best. Yeah, you know, like like for you, Travis. Take that. Take that. Um but uh but he was more like it was just it was dope to actually he took, you know, five minutes out of everything that he was doing and he was just watching me. Yeah. And in that I I stuck Mills and then he goes, Okay, he goes, Hey, he, um try this now. Um so you were trying it from uh, from footwork, um, and you're just diving right in and doing a, what, what's called in, in breaking. It's called the neck move, where your your hand plants down on the ground and you're on like on one knee. And what you do is you dive with your like with your arm. You kind of dive onto your shoulder and roll onto your upper back, and then you rotate over. Right, uh, coin, well, coin drop. Yeah, I mean, well, that, that's that's what Joe said. The next progression was. Mm. He goes, he goes, can you coin drop yet? And I said, yeah, but I could never. I can never make it work mm-hmm. in, in breaking um, in, in the sense that I can never mill. He goes, well, now that you know this part, he goes, try it from a coin drop. So all of a sudden I'm doing my tops, take a big wide, you know, Olympic step back, put my <laughs> hand down, fucking just threw that shit. And all of a sudden I was like, foom, 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 and I yeah. threw like, like four really good clean mills. Yeah. And Joe was just like, again, he was st- uh, just stoked. And what was nice about that was that, um, Joe was not only was he helpful, but there's kind of like a um, there's something interesting about like when you, once you can kind of shift up to that gear, right? Mm-hmm. Like once you're once you're able to go up into like fifth gear, 
Um, people who already operate at, at that, where they're always in fifth gear, now they have the you popped up on their radar because yeah. you're up to speed with them. So he was just like, okay, now try this. And he goes, hey, try that. He goes, can you do um, can you do tap mills? Can you do uh, can you try to do tombstones? Like he was already encouraging me to fuck with other things rather than just simply saying, okay, well now that you got your mill, I'm gonna walk over here now. He was like, he was already encouraging me not to be satisfied with just doing mills. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like saying, like now push it because then what you're gonna do is the more that you push, the better your basics are gonna be. Yep. So they're always going to be there. Yep. He goes, but if you kind of if you kind of get stuck on that, like if all you keep doing is your comfort zone, yeah. like you just acquired this new skill, so all you're going to do now is every damn event and everything that you do, you're always going to try to find a reason to just do your mills. Yeah. Um, that can be problematic because now you're putting yourself right back into painting by numbers. <clears throat> so Joe was like, he was he was very instrumental in not so much in the fact that. It wasn't like all of a sudden I started getting like, you know, crazy, crazy amounts of ground power. But what that did was um, I got mills, I got um, tombstones and taps. I was able to do like uh, nutcrackers and handcuff mills. And um, and then eventually I was starting to fuck with um, uh, head tracks and head spins. Mm-hmm. And then so then again, Joe was like stoked about that. He'd see me walk in with um, with my ProTech helmet, strap that fucker on and just start going and joe was just watching me and same thing he would sit there and he'd watch me do like one or two rotations and then he'd be like hey torque your hips a little bit more do this do that and mm-hmm. i like, do that and all of a sudden next thing you know i'm starting to get like taps yeah. and and things like that in like sections yeah and um even though i never i never like ultimately stuck with that um that aspect like i didn't stay with breaking from that day forth um what was interesting though was that those little things actually enhance what I do in house as well because I'm not afraid to do ground techs. Yeah. I do yeah. A, I do like a lot of up top dancing, which a lot of people know me for as being like, you know, I'm very I guess, you know, if anybody was to say my specialty is like I'm very smooth. Mm-hmm. Um and like I, I can do like a lot of like really nice like transitions and stuff. Mm-hmm. But when I want to, I have the ability to go and do ground techs because of years of breaking. Yeah. And um and then, of course, it's kind of funny when then, like, Joe or Dancing Dave or anybody else will, like, step to me and then be like, yo, I really like what you're doing with your house or with your locking or with your other styles of dance. Because it's like, they've already seen me break and they've mm-hmm. already seen me attempt to break. And then all of a sudden they kind of see that I'm like, I'm, I found, like, a different niche that I'm fitting that, that's more me. Yeah. And they're supportive of that rather than being like, you know, oh, you left the side, you know, fuck you, you left breaking, you, you're, you're kind of a, a betrayer and stuff. It's like, th- this is, this is how gracious our community is, is that a lot of people will, <clears throat> they'll say, yeah, you know, this person used to be my breaking student and then they got into popping and they never looked back. And I'm proud of that yeah, because they're a really good popper, you know? And it's just like, and I, and maybe, maybe what I was able to give them was the ability to like, I, I taught them how to learn. Mm-hmm. And then from that, they had this like observationalist mind. So then they were able to learn from like all these notable dancers and pick up things and have a really good work ethic and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, man, it's yeah. Shout out to Joe, dude. He yeah. He, shout out to Joe. He's, I, a, he's a fucking true champion. Yeah. And and you know and he's he's a uh, he's you know a lot of people might like take like his silence at times as being like um like he's being offy or like he 
you know, doesn't give a shit. He's not that. He's actually just, he's a very like observant, observant, like incredibly deep kind of dude. Right. I mean, the guy has a, the guy has a degree in, um, in, uh, um, oh, why am I fucking, why am I fucking blanking out all of a sudden? Oh my gosh, I am blanking out, but it is a really good skill to learn to have, especially if you're working with people. Like I know, I think like a lot of psychologists have it too. Um, like a lot of fucking great people have it. Like Tony Robbins has this shit too. Like he's interpersonal communications. No, no, it's like hypnotism, but it's not. Um, it's like a, it's a passive form of hypnotism. NLP, neurolinguistic programming. Okay, he has a degree in NLP. I mean, like that should already tell people enough, right? <laughs> I was actually one of his case studies. Yeah, yeah, it was fucking amazing. <laughs> figured shit out. Figured out what my, what my, what the big picture was for me. And stuff <laughs> like it was weird, but it helped out. It was weird because we grew up together. Yeah. So I'm like, this motherfucker is giving me advice on how to really channel my inner, my inner greatness. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, for some reason, you find that you were like programmed to start having like Tourette's outbursts, <laughs> and you go, "Fucking Joe." <laughs> He's walking Fuck. down the street. Shit! Shit on my face! Fuck! And Joe's sitting back there just like, ha, 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 ha. Oh, man. He's like, gotta get the edge. Fuck! Shit! You know, that was, that was honestly like the most interesting experience I've ever, I've ever had with Joe. Yeah. Was, um, being one of his case studies. Cause, yeah, it was, it was interesting mm-hmm. because I was like, I had, what I had to get out, uh, get out of my mind. Yeah. Was the fact that, he was helping me out on a different level. Mm-hmm. And the fact, cause like, you know, when you, when you, you know, it's like when one of your good friends, when, you know, when you've bullshitted with and when you've done unspeakable things with mm-hmm. like, you know, when, when they go into something in any type of profession, yeah. it's, it's hard to take them serious. Yeah. You know, cause they're that, that person. Like I'm pretty sure that's how it is for people when they see me in real estate yeah. in commercial real estate. They're like, Ozzy, man, he's mm-hmm. such a fucking clown. And I, yeah, I still, I'm still a troll, mm-hmm. but when it comes down to business, and helping people, I'm gonna fucking deliver. Right. It's my it's my duty to yep. deliver. I can't. I don't give a fuck who you are. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we control afterwards. Right. You know. But but with Joe, what I had to remember was that this guy's a fucking champion. Mm-hmm. Like, I've seen this dude train. I've trained with this guy. This guy is the most disciplined motherfucker ever. When it yep. comes down to it, when it gets down to the nitty gritty, yeah, like he has his moments. Where he's like, I just want to go to Churchill and eat beef and potato and pho. You know, like yeah. have some pho. <laughs> yeah. And like, but no, no, like this dude is one of the most disciplined right. dudes ever. Like it is insane. So the fact that he was going to NLP, that he was studying neuro linguistic programming, to me it was just like, oh shit, he's about to be superhuman now. Yeah. You know, because now he knows how to now he knows how to work a mind mm-hmm. to control mind. And what he was doing was he was um, doing this for dancers. Yeah. Like he's like, you know, I want to help dancers think differently. Well, that's like the big thing that's that's been um, uh, coming up like in the last like five, ten years. You know, Custom Auto, like we were talking before about how he was using hypnosis and um, other types of um, uh, like mentalist work for Mike Tyson. And then um, you started having other people that were like, doing this like you know 25 30 years after the fact and they were saying like oh yeah i'm a um i'm a, I'm a sports coach but what i basically do is like help with champions who 
now that they've like attained a certain level, they can't really maintain under the pressure. Mm-hmm. So I help them work through that. Yeah. You know, or maybe they came off of a real big loss and, you know, I'm helping them to recover cuz it's like it's just like a, like a broken bone or anything. Yeah. Um, you know, your body might be able to heal, mm-hmm. but you still have like all this like subtle mental work that needs to be done. Yeah. So I think that, you know, having those types of people in the dance community is a very very important asset just as much as like you know people who are um you know i'll mention uh james stilla is a good example right yeah. he's um uh he teaches uh, mathematics he's a mathematician mm-hmm. and what i dig about that is that um a lot of people just see him as they, again the superhero identity right yeah like they only see you as spider-man they don't realize that you go home and you have to take that mask off and you have to live an everyday life. life like everybody else, yeah. right? So um, once you appreciate that level of depth within all these human beings, then it's like it's kind of like you know one day you go you know hey man Ozzy I just uh, I just came into like a little bit of money um, you know through like an inheritance or something. Do you have any ideas or suggestions about like investments? And you go yo actually I do as a matter of fact. And it's just like you know and you're able to network with people that you trust through the dance community mm. that being that like you see their work ethic, you see how they treat people, you see how they act, how they conduct themselves. Yep. That, um, is a hell of, it's got a hell of a lot more weight than if you were just to go to and like, you know, go through the, you know, a Google search and go to some guy's office and you're supposed to just trust this guy because, you know, he's got a fancy web page or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know if this person's ethical. You yeah, don't know exactly. if this person is actually just trying to get into your pocket and they're going to start doing some like real fucked up stuff with your, your money. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, but if you're like, well, Hey man, you don't really have anything at stake. And plus, you know, we see each other around the way. So I know that if you were going to try to do anything dirty, you basically have to pick up and leave the entire state in order to be successful at that. And you don't look like you're, fixing to do that anytime soon so so it's like you know i'm, I'm gonna go ahead i'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt and, and give you a, a shot here and you turn around and you actually surprise them and you say hey man you know i'll be able to give you a reasonable rate of return this is low risk x y and z and then on top of that you know what man i'm not even gonna ask for a fee you know and then you know just out of just you know courtesy i might turn around and say dude you know, you took that three grand and turned it into a little over 12, you know, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to slide you like a couple of yardsticks here to say, thank you. Mm-hmm. You know? And, um, if Joe was doing that on a professional level, um, I think that might even help with like a lot of the, uh, things that we're suffering with in the dance community currently with like a lot of like deviancy, Yeah, you know, cause yeah. there's a lot of people that are out there that are just like, they're, they're self-taught and they're, you know, the products of like fucked up environments, yeah. dance was supposed to be their refuge, but then it just kind of yeah. became like a, a weird enabling yeah. playground for people to just, you know, continue to get away with like just dumb, dumb and, fucking shit. you know, yeah. unethical shit. And, you know, that needs to be addressed, but more than just simply just like saying, Hey, guess what? There's a, there's a wolf in the hen house. It's saying, how do we, how do we like help people to, overcome and heal not only from that but also like the people who oftentimes you know psychologically psychologically there's like the victimizer victimizee mentality Mm -hmm. where no one just wakes up one day and just decides hey i'm going to be a shitty person it's usually they were on the sharp end of the stick for a long time themselves yeah and now they have they have a compulsion to act out yeah and they don't they have no words to express the pain that they're going through and they have nothing but trauma. So what do they do? They reenact that trauma mm-hmm. either by 
self-medicating and destroying themselves because they're so scared of hurting anybody else that they, they turn it on them. Yeah. Or they've got this level of rage because they felt like there was nothing they could do to stop whatever happened. So now they've got to push that onto other people. Yeah. And of course, that creates this like... <clears throat> this negative negative cycle of karma because then it's like now this person goes like you know yo all i wanted to do was meet my hero and fucking dance i didn't want to have to have you know a me too story yeah. i didn't want to have to have um i didn't want to have to like you know really socially put myself out there to like put this person on blast mm-hmm. you know I, I you know but at the same time something very painful happens to you you don't want to let sleeping dogs lie either because then what's what happens you bury that you repress it you Pack it like as deep down into like the basement as possible and hope it never gets out. It's eventually going to come out, and it comes out, or yeah. you start doing some horrible shit. Yeah, whether you start passing it on, you either pass it on um, in the relationships that you have, mm-hmm. or you start noticing that every time you know a guy comes into session and stands like two inches too close to you, you jump. Yeah, or you got to fucking leave. Yeah, you know, it's like that's that's a scary thing for anybody. It's, I mean, it, yeah, you know, and I know, I know because um, I'll put something out there. Um, I was um, when I was uh, younger, um, when I was ten, uh, ten or eleven, I think I was ten. Um, I was just about kidnapped, and it was a situation where there was a guy who. Um, hung out at the arcade that we used to hang out at. This is for every, everybody that knows um, Brooklyn Park, Brooklyn Center area, um, where the Brunswick Zone currently is, mm-hmm. the the bowling alley. That used to be a big strip mall. And in that strip mall, there was an arcade called Circus. So we used to go to Circus all the time. And there was this dude who was in his 30s that hung out out there. And back then, video game handles were like, you know, if you got a high score, you put in three initials mm-hmm. at the end of the game, right? Or... You know, after you got done, you put in your three initials. So we we knew a lot of people that had different nicknames and stuff, you know, based on their initials. Mm -hmm. Well, this guy, he had a certain nickname that we referred to, and and we just thought he was a cool guy. And then all of a sudden, um, one one night, um, my mutual friend had, like, went off to go play some other game. So it was just me and this guy. And... We were talking about, because uh, at the time, like, the big movie that everybody was talking about, everyone's going fucking nuts for, was Bloodsport. Mm. You know, and Van Damme was really coming up. So everyone's like, oh, man, you see the news Van Damme movies? da 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 So we're talking about martial art films, because I was a martial art fanatic. And he goes, oh, yeah, I do karate. And I'm like, oh, cool, that's that's dope. And he goes, yeah, I, I got, like, you know, the pads and everything, you know, like, the all the gear and stuff, and I got my, my uniform and stuff. I'm like, oh, right on. And he goes, yeah, it's out in my car. Do you want to go see? And... I just, I felt like I was dumped in like, like neck deep in like hot water. Like I just, I could not move my limbs. I just felt numb. And, and I was like, no, I don't. And he goes, yeah, man, it'll just, it'll just take a second. He's like looking at me and he's just like, yeah, come on, you know, come out and check out, you know, what's going on out and, you know, I got my pads and everything out there. You can check them out. And and I'm like, no, I, I, I don't, I don't want to go. And then he like really like bared down on me like really looked at me just kind of like narrowed his eyes he was just like come with me out into the car right now and i'm sitting there and and like all of a sudden i hear this echo in the back of my head and it just kept echoing and echoing and echoing and then finally it was it was the word no and i just fucking yelled at the top of my lungs i was like no just scream this shit like a crazy person Mm -hmm. and when i did that he looked at me and i could tell he was contemplating trying to do a grab Mm -hmm. you know He's like, okay, well, you know, you're small enough to them where I might be able to get you, but 
you're old enough and big enough to probably put up a fight. Yeah. So I could tell he was trying to weigh that out. As soon as I screamed no, right behind him, there was a police officer because this was Brooklyn Park. Yeah. So they had cops out there in full force because you had like GDs and vice lords and shit that would come out around like 8 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And then by 10 o'clock, there were shootings and stabbings and shit. So I screamed no. He looks at me. All of a sudden, this cop turns, like makes a left and goes right towards us. And I see him like, oh, excuse me, sir. Get, sir, can I talk to you for a minute? And he's like talking to him. Dude doesn't even look at me. He immediately just kind of goes into like this like Jason Bourne fight or flight mode where he had an exit strategy. He knew exactly where he was going. He walked, slipped out almost like just just as if, as if it was like on a track, mm-hmm. right? He just knew exactly where he was going to go. So if he would have grabbed me and went on his path, I probably wouldn't be telling you this story today or I'd be, you know, in, you know, an institution someplace or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Because I would have been. I don't know what would have happened. Yeah. And this was like, this was in the time, um, there was a lot of social awareness back then because uh, real big famous cases were like Jacob Wetterling, mm-hmm. who went missing in Minnesota. And then also there was uh, Adam Walsh, mm-hmm. who was the, uh, um, he was the son of uh, the guy who did America's Most Wanted, John Walsh. Mm-hmm. Um, John Walsh, that was his son who got abducted and sadly killed. So there was all this like, like made for TV movies and like social awareness about like you know don't talk to strangers always go to places in like groups mm-hmm. and you know tell your parents where you're going i mean the whole nine so yeah. i i knew all this stuff but this but when it happens to you it's like you're not prepared yeah you have no fucking idea what you're going to do mm-hmm. so officer comes running by and he's like got you know he's got his shoulder mic and he's just like you know talks into his mic and then he's just like on in pursuit and then he like Tells me, he goes, hey, wait over by the by the change counter, right? And I'm like, all right, yes, sir. So I go over to the change counter. He goes running after him. He comes back about like 10, 15 minutes later. He asks me, like, like yo, um, so, uh, you know, can you identify him? You know, what happened? I told him everything and stuff. And then he's just like, okay. And he's like, you know, can I, you know, can we take a statement? So he gets my information and stuff, and then um, it never it never went further in that um, I never had to go to like a police station and like look at mugshots or anything. But then um, fast forward, I think it was like a year or maybe two years later. So we hadn't seen this guy at the arcade at all, right? And it kind of pissed off one of my friends because he thought that you know maybe I was just being paranoid mm. or or something of, of uh, to that effect because. He kind of, my friend kind of ostracized me too. He sort of was just like, you know, God, you're always so, you know, touchy and freaky, freaked out about shit and, you know, look both ways before you cross the street and stuff. You don't know how to live your life kind of a thing. And then all of a sudden he hit me up and he goes, yo, um, I'm fucking sorry. And I said, for what? Not talking to me for like a year plus? And he goes, yeah. He goes, um, they busted him at a different arcade. Apparently he started trolling at a different place and he had like... He had pockets of places that he would rotate to, so he could never be in one place for longer than a certain amount of time. So he was out at another place, and he got busted. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he tried to grab a kid during a birthday party. Like, literally, like, they were in, like, the family room, you know, where there's, like, the animatronic bears, you know, singing happy birthday and all that shit. And he, like, came up and grabbed this kid and tried to make a run. And the kid's dad fucking tackled him and beat the shit out of him. <laughs> so, you know, so I was very, very thankful that you know, that he was apprehended, but you know, there's people out there that are not so lucky. No, you know, some people yeah. that didn't even get to live to tell the tale 
or other people that had to spend years and years in therapy. Yeah, yeah it's it's quite disheartening. It's quite disgusting. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially you know with the dance scene right now mm-hmm. too. It's it's fucking it's crazy, man. Because because and this is like this is why I relate to it in that um, you know you're in an arcade. And you don't think anything of it when you're 15 years old and all of a sudden someone was really fucking cool. Like you guys like are agreeing on like Mortal Kombat is like the dopest game ever and shit. You don't realize this person's 43. Yeah. You know, they're, they're a big kid. So you're just like, oh yeah, this is so awesome. Da 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 and stuff. But it's like, you don't really know honestly, like what a person's intentions are. Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes you can, you can also like, you can overread too. You can think like, oh man, this person's a creep or something. Actually, no, they just like video games. Yeah. Or they're social and they're just, you know, they're they're cool. They've never tried to do anything. They've never made a pass at anybody or done anything weird or freaky or anything. But, you know, like in the dance scene too, it's this is such a new a new concept cuz think about it, you know, this didn't this never existed in like jazz or tap or ballet or modern or anything where it's not like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you got like you know, like somebody who's like 11 or 12 years old, that's a prodigy that's hanging out with somebody who's like 50 and like, they're giving this person a ride to a jam or everyone's going to like this one event to meet and dance. It was kind of like, I guess you could say some of the supervision was a little bit easier because you had institutions, you had, you know, um, schools or you had, you know, like neighborhood mentorships and stuff where everybody kind of knew, you know, that dancer and everything. And, you know, it was, it was watched, Mm -hmm. but all of a sudden, you know, um, hip hop and like other street art forms were exactly that. They were just street and nobody had a blueprint or an idea of what the fuck they were doing. I mean, at least even in martial arts, you still had like these like legacies and lineage, you know, that were in existence. You had codes of conduct and stuff. And yep. if somebody did something, especially in the martial community and the martial community caught wind of it, um, best believe that you lost all rights and privileges in, if you were like in a Chinatown and you had a school, and you did something nefarious, that that's it. You board up your fucking school because if the other martial artists aren't going to get you, the tongs are definitely going to get you. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to talk to everybody who runs the underworld, and that's it. You're fucking done. You know, yep. and by hook or by crook, it's like they'll they'll say like you know, you might be able to do that elsewhere, but you damn sure ain't going to be doing that in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. You know, or you're not going to do this in you know. Chinatown in Texas or New York or wherever. But then like in martial or not martial arts, but in dance, that shit's not regulated because nobody, this was still like uncharted territory. Everybody's fucking new at this shit. Nobody knew what they were doing. They didn't have like ideas and rules and codes. And I think that that's, that's where we have to, because hip hop is supposed to be such a creative thing. I think we're supposed to be, using inspiration from other things so like that's why i used to laugh at like a lot of the people who were into hip-hop culture that always cite bruce lee as being a big influence (sighs) Mm -hmm. but yet they don't do anything that bruce lee actually represents they don't have the discipline they don't have the hard work they don't have intelligence they don't have emotional content they just have the fact that they dug watching enter the dragon and they're a fan of that and that's that's all they they think about is like just the the movie persona but they don't fucking know any of his life leading up to the film status yeah. or they read his book and they think that they get it. But then there's like martial artists who spent like years kind of going back and like going through his notes and meticulously trying to pick up things and dancers, you know, oftentimes, you know, it's very easy for us to just fall victim to just sampling shit and being like, you know, Oh yeah. You know, I like James Brown. Cause like there's two, 
two songs that you listen to. But, you know, how many dancers really take the time to learn his history? Yeah. His, his, his dark sides as well. Yeah, not a lot. You know, and really understand, too. Like, be like, oh, yeah, you know, he did all these great things. But he also did bad shit, too, mm-hmm. because he's a human being. And human beings are fallible, and they, they will fuck up. But, you know, in this, in this day and age, too, people have to be accountable. Yeah. You know? I think the, um, the case in point is just be a good person. Yeah. Like, there's this, like, there's this meme that's rolling around right now where it's like, you know, don't meet your heroes mm-hmm. and shit. And I think, you know, meet your heroes, but, mm-hmm. you know, just be a good person. Right. Like, for all these dudes, there's just so many dancers that are getting called out right now. Right. Um, majority, actually they're all male. <laughs> yeah. All male dancers are getting called out right now. And it's tough because at the same time, you know, I'm just like, dude, f- actually I'm not just like, I'm like, seriously, dude, fuck you guys. Mm-hmm. Cause you guys fuck it up for the rest of us. Right. Like you guys make it even harder to be a male right. dancer right now, because now we literally, literally have to be extra, extra, extra careful as if we weren't careful already. Right. <laughs> you know, as if we weren't we weren't a good per we weren't trying to be a good person already Mm -hmm. now we have it's like in a sense it's like you got to make us suck up now right or in in my case i feel bad in that um somebody might step to me that's either a youth or um somebody the opposite sex where i almost have to be like not really not distant and not dismissive but just like I, i really try to like keep the brakes on, you know, and, and say, okay, you know, you're cool, but I don't think it's a good idea for me to give you a ride to a jam unsupervised. It's like, I'm going to make sure that there's at least 15 people all in this vehicle because I don't, I don't want any miscommunication. I don't want any misunderstandings. And also I don't want other people that maybe see from a distance and, and make assumptions too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, it's going to fucking happen regardless. Right. So it's like, so, you know, again, it goes back into being, you know, like, like boxing, you know, protect yourself at all times. Just because the bell rings yeah. doesn't mean that something is not going to just happen spontaneously. Yeah. So it's like people, I think, have to really think thrice about, you know, um, situations. I mean, I even, I was even aware of that in martial arts because there were always this, these times too, and I'd seen this happen in plenty of dojos. I've seen dojo crushes and they they get to be very messy at at the best of times and they get fucking worse at the worst of times. So like you would see something that would damn near shut down a school, you know? Um I mean the idea that like two people hit it off because they have they've got a lot in common. They're like, "Hey, you like this? I like this. It's cool. We like to train and everything." And then all of a sudden, you know, you notice that, you know, you're uh your your lady friend or your guy friend is working with somebody of the opposite sex and you just it doesn't sit right with you and then all of a sudden you walk over and you go what the fuck are you doing talking to my girl my guy and the person's like what and the next thing the coach is like what's going on here and then it's like now the coach has to hear that you know these two people have had had this relationship for you know some time and then they brought that to the dojo and now it's becoming everybody else's issue um it's it it can it can be very very dangerous and it's like so people have to be respectful and understanding that you know um as uh as tempting as tempting as it may seem it's like really really think all those things through to like their 
greatest possible conclusion. Like think about like good things that can happen, but also think about the the possibility of stuff not going good. I mean, how how awkward is it or how bad is it just to even bump into somebody that, you know, you dated that it didn't work out with at, you know, some coffee shop, let alone a practice session or a jam. It's like at least at a coffee shop you can get your coffee and you know, take the opposite door, kind of give each other like a curt little nod, be like, hmm, okay, and go. But what if you flew all the way out to this jam and you run into, you know, your ex? Mm-hmm. And what if there was like already some shit? Like you got a restraining order on said ex and yeah. said ex didn't know that you were going to be going to, you mm-hmm. know, that jam in New Jersey or whatever. And yeah. you're there too. And you're like, fuck, I flew all the way out here. And of course people want to double down. Well, I'm not, well, I paid $800 for my ticket. I'm not leaving. You leave. I was here first. And then you go, oh, great, here we go. Yeah. And, you know, and there's other times where it's like it's completely not even like anything consensual. It's just flat out was just like, hey, I just want to learn from all these great notable dancers. And for some weird fucking reason, every single one of these dancers takes that as like some sort of like um, open door policy no, to no. start sliding into you my DMs or whatever. Fucking idiot. No, I, I feel bad for all the women's, for all the women that have just been affected lately. Yeah. It's just fucking ridiculous mm-hmm. and it's disgusting and i yep. hate the fa- i hate the fact that you know it even deals with some people from our community like it's yep. just it's fucking sucks mm-hmm. it really fucking sucks it's really disheartening if it wasn't a crime i would literally knock some people out yeah but it is <laughs> you know and it's just it, it's it really sucks because again for one, that person, that victim, is now going through some psychological shit, right. which is not fair at all. You know, I don't think anyone should ever go through that bullshit. Mm-hmm. And to top it off, again, it makes it hard for us now. Right. It makes it hard for the good people, for the good right. guys, for the guys that just mean well, mm-hmm. that care. You know, it's it's a headache. I mean, shit, dude. I, I even remember hearing um, like horror stories jumping into the scene where um where people would talk about other scenes and they would say that yeah there's like there there was just like uh certain people that you just knew to keep like a wide berth from right like you just did not talk to them and you're like why what's up and they're like oh they you know they got some dirt under their fingernails or you know and, and you go and you're and you're like shit dude this is like this is supposed to be about like coming out and dancing and having a good time and stuff and it's like yeah. now you got to be worried about that too yeah you know it's just it and you know, and also this also adds to another aspect, which is that not everybody also is like a nefarious predator either. There are people who legitimately just, you know, made a bad judgment call, and then there are people that flat out like knew exactly what the fuck they were doing, yeah, and had intentions all along and stuff. So it's just a matter of being able to understand those degrees and nuances too, because sometimes some people. You know, you might meet somebody that's just lonely and they kind of go like, well, hey, I thought we connected because we both like the dance, you know, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, but I wasn't hitting you up like that. You know, I just wanted to learn how to spin on my head or whatever. And and the person goes, oh, okay, I'm sorry. And they fucking back off. They're total gentle person about it and no harm, no foul. That's how it goes. You know, that's right. That's perfectly fine. Right. And it's like, (laughs) but then there's other people that double down and 
you know, or they they back off like only enough to try to say like, oh yeah, no, I totally, yeah, totally agree. Would never, never anything. And then all of a sudden, you know, three weeks later, they're drunk they, they, they and they decide again. to yeah. make another um, pass at it or whatever. Yeah. Or they think that because you know you you say something like, okay, man, it's it's cool, it's cool. They think that it's cool means green light. Yeah, go. No, you fucking <laughs> it's idiot. Like, it's like no, no. It's cool as in like I forgive you. Yeah. And you know, so yeah, it's 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 such a it's such a scary thing to be in and I can only feel um I mean, the feeling that I had potentially having an adult grab me and pick me up and take me away, you know, it's like you know, I know people that that say like, you know, being a female, it's like think about that when you're like in your 30s. Yeah. You're like, you know, you're barely 115 pounds and some dude who's like six foot five and 240 can do that. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, it, it doesn't fucking stop. And that, that's why I was always such a big advocate of always encouraging um, um, everybody, not just women, but children and other um, adults to learn martial arts. Because um, at least if anything, you might not be able to stop the person a hundred percent in their tracks. They'll you might you, they'll give you time. It might be able to give you enough time for that cop that was just walking by to hear the the commotion and come a running, you know, or you know, five people that were you know standing up by a car to all of a sudden see that you know somebody. Um, there's a there was a situation I remember I was talking with a young lady, and uh, she was she was kind of like I think she had a she had a very um, she had a very different approach in, in her philosophy. Cause I was telling the same thing. I said, I think that, you know, that's why a lot of people I think should learn martial arts. And she said, or men should just learn that raping is wrong. And I'm like, okay, well, first off, um, if this guy is totally committed to doing this, he doesn't care about he your feelings. Go, so you better be completely ready and willing to break that son of a bitch in two. You know, because he's already kind of gone into like this primal, you know, like killer bear mode. Mm -hmm. There's no pointing your finger and shaming and saying, "Uh -uh, I'm going to threaten and I'm going to, you know, tweet about this. He doesn't care anymore. So he's completely in a a mode where he just wants to to dominate and take something from you. Um, And um, somebody else spoke in on this thread and this because this was like years and years ago and it was about about a, um, I think it was like a sexual assault situation that people were talking about. And, um, so this young lady was kind of getting defensive towards me and I was like backing up my case, you know, talking about my martial art, um, background and stuff. And then finally this other young lady chimes in and she goes, okay, well, I'm going to kind of help mediate this because, um, I'm a Brazilian jujitsu black belt. Um, I've been teaching for several years and I was also, um, not only, the survivor of um, uh, victimized assaults from, uh, I, th- I believe it was like her dad and her her two brothers had done some like really atrocious shit to her when she was younger, mm-hmm. um, to where she like lived in um, like lived with like uh, like distant relatives, mm-hmm. um, went to therapy, got into jujitsu. Jujitsu really brought her back to a state where she felt confident again and secure as a person. And then, lo and behold, she's walking out of an Anytime Fitness or something at, like, 11 o'clock at night, and she's throwing her bag into the back of a car, and this guy grabs her by the hair and slams her head into the um, the, the bridge of the, the car, mm-hmm. and then throws her right into the car, and is basically just going to have his way with her. And she was concussed, but she has, has been so used to training 
for you know better part of uh, a decade because she was a black belt, so she'd been training for a long time. That she went right into um, a defensive position in jujitsu, which is called the guard, where you wrap your legs around the person's waist mm-hmm. to kill their leverage, so that way they don't have any real control, mm-hmm. and you you hook your feet so that way they're not going anywhere. And she basically ended up getting him into a very complicated lock because he had like a heavier coat on. So she gets him and she wraps him up and she held him. And with her free hand, she went ahead and called the cops and basically sat there and held his ass until the police got there. And the police were, were sitting there, you know, they had their guns drawn and they get a hold of him and stuff. And apparently this guy had an MO. I think he had something like 17 or 18 cases that they finally were able to positively ID him, you know, using like CCTV and, you know, gas stations. And, you know, he would like come up to, you know, somebody at like an ATM and wait until they rolled down their window. And then he would like rush them and get into the car and, and shit like that, you know, and, and she, she chimed in and she said, Hey, you know, I know that in a perfect world, it would be great to just be able to like shake your finger at people and just make them feel bad about their decision or rethink whatever it is. But she goes, I can agree with uh, with Cam here that when a person gets to a point where they don't, the minute they've crossed that physical boundary, they don't, they've completely forfeit all logic and reason and rationale. They don't care about your feelings anymore. Mm-hmm. They just want to take something from you. Yep. So you, what you got to deal with is it's at that moment, it's, it's like survival out in the wilderness, right? Like you don't want to go and kill a bear. You're not going out to hunt bear, but if a bear happens to just cross your path and decides to try to, attack you you've got to do what you can to survive Mm -hmm. you know so it's and again you know women they it's it's not it's not anybody's um it's not anybody's fault you know like like there's there's a lot of women that feel shame they feel guilt they feel blamed they don't want to cause any ripples they don't want to be ostracized in the community you know and you know there's there's plenty of resources that are out there and people to talk to and also um, understanding to not deal in like blanket statements and think that, you know, all men are thus, or, you know, I've heard a lot of guys that say stupid shit, like, you know, like, well, it's because all women are this, you know? And I'm like, dude, shut the fuck up. I'm like, I'm like, you know what? Save that speech for the fucking tourists because, you know, you're, you're, you're giving this blanket statement that's supposed to be this nice, neat little package. And I'm like, no, I'm like, you maybe have dealt with a lot of people where you had negative circumstances with them. But that doesn't mean that all women are this or all women are that. Just like it doesn't mean that all men are this or that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and in dancing, I think we have like a an enhanced level of responsibility because we're, yeah. we're dancers. We, sh- we should be able to read body language. Yeah. So I think that we can kind of read people and say, you know what? Um, we're dancing. We're having a good time. Let's just keep it at that. Yeah. And, you know, and if, if you're both like, you know, consenting adults and you do find that you have some sort of a connection it's kind of like, you know, okay, well, you know, discuss it with that person at some point and say, hey, you know, I really like you, you really like me, but I don't want, if if things go south, I don't want this to be something where you feel like you can't go to a practice session anymore, or you can't be around the same friends or the same groups of people. And there, there are people that have had breakups, like, you know, they've had like crew um, or uh, uh, scene crushes and stuff and, and dates, and they've broken up. And to this day, they're still good friends and we still see them at at jams and events and nobody yells you know bullshit nobody starts any drama or anything but you know then there's other times where people just they're not cut out for it so it's just like really think 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 about what you're fucking doing 
really think about it. Just say like, hey, am I absolutely prepared if shit goes sideways? Am I prepared to like walk away from the community? Am I prepared to, you know, like kind of... Are you prepared to ruin your reputation? Yeah. Are you prepared to ruin the name that you built for, yeah. you know, 20 years or, yeah. or what have you? Yeah. You know, and yeah. if it's if the juice ain't worth the squeeze... And yep. even still, I mean, fuck, dude. I, I always think about, like, empathizing with that person. It's like, you know, you think you what you might be doing, you're thinking that you're just being this outgoing person. But in their mind, you kind of put your hands against the wall. And they're, like, right in, like, their back is against the wall. And you're kind of stopping them from being able to go left or right. And they yeah. have to deal with you. Yeah. And that shit is scary. And it's like, and a lot of guys don't know that because they've never been there. You know, and then there are some guys that do know that because they've had unfortunate circumstances where an adult abused them or, or put them in some sort of a situation or their parents did something very fucked up to them. Yeah, or it's just uh, someone their age. Like I've been, a, I've been sexually harassed by women that are my age mm-hmm. and I tell them off right. straight up. I already, right. like at the clubs, mm-hmm. women fucking grab my ass and shit. I'm just like, dude, fuck you. <laughs> And, you know, and I think they like once they get that attitude for me, right. that's when they tend to back off. Right. But it's like, you know, this is like fuck that. You right. know what I'm saying? Like, kind of going back to not all men do this and not all women do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, every every group has its bad apples. Right. And shit, and you know, unfortunately, it's like I've had to experience a couple of that shit too. Like, thankfully, I didn't have to ride with it mentally for the longest time. I experienced it, and now I just straight up bitch the person out yeah <laughs> you know but and, and it's yeah. such it's such a weird thing to have to deal with too because like in in that case for men it's like you know we're kind of expected just to take things because you're Fuck that because you're a guy yeah you know so it's like and that's also like i've i've had a lot of lady friends who used to um who used to have to run interference for me when i would dance because they would know, they would say, you know what happens you, when you get out there, you're not just like commanding, like you're not just like vibing and feeling the beat. You're also like popping up on everybody's radar too. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you know, a couple of people that have one too many drinks in them, either some guys are going to get jealous because you're drawing shine away from them, or you're going to some ladies that are going to come up and go, hey, this is attention to dancer, he's a break dancer. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like, and that also fucks with us too, because we're trying to be polite. We're trying to dance. We're trying to just do our own thing. And we're not, it's not like you're giving, you know, somebody across the room, the googly eyes and like, you know, walking over to them and wanting to grind with them and all that kind of shit. You're literally saying like, there's no, there's no invitation here. I'm spinning on my head. Yeah. Where, where do you, where do you see the sign on my back that says you can post up? Yeah. And you know, this is, this is time to fucking reenact, you know, some scene from like save the last dance or whatever. <laughs> um, it's like. Yeah. So, and, and it's kind of funny because then it's like, you know, we got, uh, we got some ladies in the, uh, in the scene that will intentionally run interference and they go, uh oh, all right, we we got a, we got a clinger, a class five, uh, clinger at five o'clock. And all of a sudden it's like, so you're out there dancing. And then all of a sudden, you know, one of our homegirls will like step in and get like right in their face and then kind of be like, you know, what do you want? I want to see the break dancer. Okay. Well, looky, no touchy. You know, yeah, or yeah. the like I, I said before, the time that uh, Erica Joe, when um, when that cat um, put his hand on her, like actually grabbed her and she just fucking stopped, completely broke dance character and just looked at him and just pointed her finger right in his face, like right up in his gob and was just like, you do not get to touch me. 
And this guy went right back to like primary school. He was like, his lip was all low and he was just like looking with like the sad puppy dog eyes. Right. And I'm like, see, was I there? Um, you were there, but you, ha- you left. I think you, you went upstairs or something because it was me and it was Erica Joe and it was, uh, um, uh, it was, uh, natural. Oh. We're over there. And, um, and yeah, and all of a sudden this, this dude just decided that he thought it would be night. Well, first, first he tried like grabbing her arm a couple times, like, Hey, Hey, Hey. And then he, I think he he actually grabbed her by the arm and tried to like put his hand around her waist and she like sidestepped him like no thanks you know and she like turns her back to him so then all of a sudden he fucking posted up on her and she turns and just pointed her goddamn finger right in his face and I was just like you shouldn't have stopped you should have poked him in his eye like Terminator two and just like you know ran him through um, but you know I watched this and I you know I was ready to jump if if anything was going to kick off oh yeah. Because you see that too in in the club environment, we have like a lot of spatial awareness. Where sometimes you know even guys that have one too many drinks in them, all that you know decorum just goes out the window. They try to you know they try to um, uh, step to a lady, lady disses him in public, and then all of a sudden the guy doesn't want to take no for an answer, and he decides to you know lay hands on her or something like that. So you yeah. know we have a responsibility to yeah. enforce the peace and be like, yo. <laughs> Back the fuck up, yeah. Man. Back the fuck up, or you're just gonna yep. get dropped. <laughs> and you know, and and there's the and and also the the sad part about it too is that there's only so many places that we can be at any given time to protect people too. So it's like it's also got to be, you know, uh, people have to do their due diligence and be like, oh, you notice that someone is like trying to go outside. They're not even going like through like the direct pipeline of like the jam or the club or anything. They're trying to hit you on your DMs or you know they're you know popping up here and that there and and uh and elsewhere and stuff or you know so it's like you know people please always be on guard be aware tell people when whenever you feel uncomfortable even even if it's like something where you just say hey listen i'm about to walk through a dark parking lot right now um you know never once have i ever felt weird you know um you know, being that you know you're you're my house teacher or my breaking teacher or whatever, can I just keep you on the phone while I walk through this parking lot? Because I feel really fucking uncomfortable. There's some dudes like down the way there, and I, oh, yeah, you know, man. that kind of shit. You know, walk with your keys in your hand. Yeah. You know, and also go fucking crazy if anybody ever decides to like, you know, step to you um, on that on that physical level. Scream, you, do whatever. Yeah, you yeah. you you definitely Cause just have scene. to. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's such a it's it's such a scary yeah. thing and. You know, I I never I would never be proud of uh, you know I'm I'm not proud of the fact that you know when I tell people about Minnesota, and you know and they and they know Jacob Wetterling who Jacob Wetterling is yeah it's like I I don't want statistics to be in existence on a negative here for Minnesota I want I want them to be positive things I don't want to have to sit there and say or somebody says oh yeah you're seeing where that one thing happened to that one dancer I'm like yeah. fuck no yeah. I, <laughs> so um, no like uh, I think too. As a as a dance, you know, just a dancer, and it could be male or female, but mm-hmm. you know, like in our case, like if you're a male dancer, you know, and and if a girl feels uncomfortable, you say you're at a session, yeah, right. Like I've always kept this in mind. Like if uh, if one of my friends who happens, it could be male or female, mm-hmm. if a dancer tells me they're uncomfortable walking to their car after session, mm-hmm. better believe I'm going to stop doing what the fuck I'm doing and I'm going to go with them, right? Or you know, I'm I'm going to do whatever makes them feel comfortable, right? Because the last thing you want is for something to fucking happen to them, you know? Right. That's why it's just, it's important, man, to check on your peers. And and these people in the scene, it. the ones that really have, like, been here and have, you know, 
paid their dues, um, you know, we should be feeling like a an obligation to protect the scene and the people in it. Um, the newcomers and the people who've been here for, you know, a long time, we should all have this, like, feeling of saying, like, you know, no, no matter what, all y'all are my brothers and my sisters. Yeah. You know, yeah. and non-gender specific siblings, you know, yeah. anybody, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, I... I, I feel like um, if we if we let the side down, if we let our scene down, then we don't really deserve to have a scene. No, you know. So we no. we have to basically be very proactive and vigilant, and also, you know, sometimes um, not everybody is going to have the initial like like I was very lucky to have that that echo that developed in the back of my my mind that uh, that pushed me to go and um, say no, but not everybody has that. You know, sometimes people will just, um, they'll freeze and they'll be scared and they'll feel intimidated or they'll feel um, like they don't want to rock the boat or they don't want to cause any trouble or they feel like that because they're a newbie that maybe um, they, you know, don't matter. And it's like, no, you all fucking matter. Every single one of you. If, you, if anybody feels anything, you know, talk to somebody and you know reach out and um some of us who have gone through this too i mean that's the reason why we we want to you know help in any way that we can is because we have either had close calls or we might have had actually some bad experiences ourselves so you know we're going to be there and i think it's just a matter of um you know people just being like um uh open-minded enough open-hearted enough to be able to listen when someone has something that they have to say and also um you know if somebody is too scared you know to let them know that they they do have some place to to go to be able to talk in in confidence and then once they they do um in that um in that particular uh instance then it's you know you you figure out you say okay so what do you want to do from here or you know you you tell them like flat out you go okay well i think I think we need to make this a police matter or I think we need to have a sit down and figure this out or we need to talk to some other mentors or whoever we needed to talk to to get this uh, situated. So, you know, it we we have to protect the community. We have to protect the community, we have to protect ourselves as as people. We have to try to always think about, you know, other people's feelings and do the right thing. Uh, it's kind of like uh what Vince Lombardi said about, you know, like winning, winning isn't a sometimes thing. It's an all time thing. And, um, winning is a habit, but unfortunately so is losing. Well, I think that, you know, doing the right thing is like that too. Like if you do the right thing, you can make it a habit. You can make it something where you're, you're always going to try to do the right thing. Um, and then unfortunately when you make compromises and you do the wrong thing, that can also become a habit too. And it becomes like a pierced ear. It just, it's always, this hole that just exists that you can just keep, you know, falling back into. So yeah, man, I, I really think that we were obligated in the scene to be able to look out for, you know, other people, um, people who aren't capable of defending themselves or people who are, but they just are outnumbered too. Cause you know, sometimes it's not, it's not even just one dude or, or, or one situation. It might be multiple fronts that they're fighting on, you know? Yeah. So, uh, case in point, just be a good person. Yep. That's 
it's that's all it takes. It's really not that hard. Mm-hmm. It's it's really not that fucking hard to yeah. be a good person. If anything, it's harder to be a bad person. <laughs> Because you, you have all kinds of additional paperwork that you have to deal with afterwards. Yeah. Like you, you, it felt really good, good in that moment to break the window, but now there's all this broken glass, yeah. right? Yeah. Like Versus it, a good person uh, who just looks at it and just says, yeah. just, just again, yeah, just, I don't want to do this. Just be a good fucking person and everything will be okay. That's, that's all it takes. <laughs> but, um, look, we're a little over two hours yeah. here. Um, we should just wrap it up. Yeah, we should wrap it up. <laughs> wrap it up. That's a wrap, B. Wrap. Wrap? Wrap it up. Wrap it up? Okay. Um, that just sounds fucking A. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought you meant like you wanted bars. Like I was going to be like, okay. No, that's what I was thinking of. And then, you know, my uh, slapstick comedy style kicked in. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> the stiffler the stiffler kicked in. Oh, jeez. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, so, uh, with that being said, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you all for tuning out. We appreciate you guys. Every single last one of you. Shout out to, shout out to our, our, uh, well, he was technically our official, no, shout out to our official guest. Yeah. First official guest. First official guest that started off season two of Styles and Driss, Mr. Raul. Hailing from Toronto by way of Zimbabwe. Can't wait to have that dude out here. It's Absolutely. Fucking yeah. amazing. He's gonna bless this scene. I think I think a lot of people are gonna get a kick, you know, just because of the, the concepts and stuff that he has. I think they they'll get a kick out of like learning from him. So like his energy in oh, yeah. general is just gonna be fucking phenomenal. All so of his will be refreshing. Flowy silky shirts. Yeah. <laughs> his style, man. Yeah. I'm saying, dude, suave, yep. suave, motherfucker, dude. This is <laughs> killing it. I don't know why, but like, just with like the the shit that he wears, like the the real like you know shiny silky shirts and stuff. All I keep thinking of is Silverio from Only the Strong. Oh, he's like, don't play with me, Merku. <laughs> yeah, we'll but, see who the real capoeira maestra is in this neighborhood. <laughs> speaking of Only the Strong. If you ever go to uh, Koflo's house, on top of his piano in his living room, mm-hmm. there's a picture of him, and there's a picture of the the main guy from Only the Strong, the good guy, Mark Dacascos. Yeah, yeah, it's the fucking funniest picture. It's like the first picture you. This is like, the first thing I noticed. There's like all this amazing art <laughs> all over their house. You know, like a lot of it's done by by tsunami. Yeah, and a lot of it's just done by like other artists. Yeah, amazing art everywhere. Like the whole place is is dope. You know, what I mean, tsunami's an architect, mm-hmm. so it's like you know, of course the place is going to be fucking amazing. Yeah, but that's the first thing I noticed. Yeah, right off the bat, <laughs> <laughs> on the top of their piano, I'm like, what the fuck? But yeah, anyways. Uh, yeah, guys, thanks Thanks for tuning in. We'll uh, talk to you soon. All right, this has been another episode of Styles and Driss. Oh, by the way, uh, we'd like to thank our unofficial sponsors. Unofficial sponsors? Yeah. Um, I am drinking grape-flavored Zevia, sugar-free because I'm sweet enough, along with uh, some hop tea from Hoplark, um, the chamomile stuff and i'm drinking some shit with hydrogen and magnesium in it yes i'm guessing it's got to be good good for bones it's uh it's good for uh good for dance for dance it's good for house dance <laughs> it's good for djing for house dance for chasing squirrels it's good it's, it's good for for dancing the 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 loose legs and the, the 
Potable Rays. The Jack. <laughs> Don't forget to Jack your buddies. Oh my gosh. Jack you know your what? buddies. We should we should just switch we should just stick to the accents that that actually come from our from our own uh, heritage. <laughs> because I plan on having Carrie on here and yeah. if she fucking finds out that we're doing Russian accents. She, well, we're Americans, so she'll probably be like, "Oh God, stupid Americans." Yeah, when we were in Paris. Yeah, quick story before we, I officially wrap end this, this wrap this up. We were in Paris and mm-hmm. back in March, right before COVID. Yeah, it was me, uh, Hui Hum, aka Tomahawk Bang, mm-hmm. Carrie, Koflo, um, who Lassar was there, and some other some few other dancers. Tsunami was there, mm-hmm. but it was it was mainly me, Koflo, and and Hui Hum and. We were just spit out like bullshit American jokes, you know, like you know how Americans are, man. You know, we, we just spit out dumb shit yeah. that we find hilarious, but you know that a European person won't really grasp. You know, like right. another person that's not from America would really get. So she looks at us like just deer in the headlights, like what? And, we're, and, and we're, you know, we're we're laughing, and mm-hmm. and you know, all of a sudden a, a silence kicks in, and I'm just like. Carrie, don't worry. We're just being stupid Americans. She's like, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> she's like, oh, I got that. Yeah, yeah. She's like, you know, that really makes sense to me. Stupid Americans. Stupid Americans. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, thank you all for tuning in. Yeah, thank Appreciate you. It. Thank you very much. We love each and every one of you. So uh, yeah, practice peace, love, and soul. Yeah, be a good person. We'll fucking punch you in the face. Yeah. With kindness. Yep. Yep. All right. Peace. Peace, peace.